Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. We have a change of pace episode since it's, you know, the holiday break and, I don't know, a little, little added add DFS kind of closed out my account for the, for the, for the year. So I'm bringing on... Buddy, a long, t- long time, buddy. This is the first time we've actually spoken in like in, in action in vocal chords, but we've probably been in discords or slacks for a long period of time. It's uh, Sammy Reed of uh, of both the Guildcast. If you if you listen to that, which is my favorite, listen every every Monday or Sunday night uh, during football season, as well as Read 'Em and Weep, a poker podcast. And we go way back. We go back to I, I listened to the Guildcast when it was Fantasy Insiders. Yeah, we, we, we miss those days. The Fantasy Insiders days were uh, the glory of DFS, but, you know, as, as, as it is, all things must come to an end. But I still have it in the Twitter handle, so. Right. But, I mean, yeah. but you, I, I know we're going to talk a lot about poker and how, like, a lot, of, a lot of people, I mean, we've talked about this a lot of times in the industry before, a lot of the good DFS players come from poker. I mean, Roto-Grinders was started by, you know, people that started Pocket Fives. And if you, if you go to, you know, Alex Baker was an online pro. Supernova Elite on Poker Stars. And and because the mindset is very similar. I mean, there's essentially thinking probabilistically. And going to DFS is, I mean, you're doing very similar types of things. It's not like... It's not sequential like poker is, but if you're good at poker, you probably understand the, the general game theory of DFS. But how about the how about the reverse? Because we're you're you you started this podcast where you go over like a hand, you know, good hand and bad hand that you played, and I listened. To, you know, the first episode is kind of like you played way back in the day, kind of got out of it, transitioned into DFS and fantasy football, and then it's like you know what? I really love poker. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back and and see what it's all about. And, and I binge listened to every episode of yours. And uh, I, I noticed like the sentiment like that that really stands out to me. I know I, I mentioned a whole bunch of things, but the sentiment that really stands out to me is you said the same thing that I, that I said. So I played poker like five years, like professionally, I guess you want to call it. And then you know everyone once you know like around 2008, 2009, I kind of not play professionally. Uh, I've heard all the stuff about, oh, modern poker is different, right? You hear all the stuff about GTO solvers and all that type of stuff. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go to my local card room. You know, I have nothing to do. I haven't played poker in God knows how long. And then you sit down at the table and go, how the fuck is this any different than I remember from fucking 15 years ago? Like where, 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 where is all this, where's all this modern poker knowledge or whatever? And, it seems like, seems like you you experienced the same thing. Yeah, totally. I think that you know, live poker is almost a time capsule, especially like low stakes live poker. You know, one three, two three, even a lot of two five. It's just like it, it, it never it never evolved. It never got out of the stone ages, right? I think where you find you know people who like study solvers and study GTO theory and, and these sorts of things, you find them playing. Online, you playing you find them playing two hundred Zoom or five hundred Zoom on Poker Stars or whatever. You don't really find them at your two three table. I, I like to say Bob the plumber and Bob the retired lawyer. Like they're not they're not 
that are studying solver outputs. Like they just have no clue. They just like to go after work and play some cards and, and that's their thing. And yeah, it's, it's very, it's like time has stopped for live poker, which is awesome. Well, I mean, I relate it to, to, to DFS. Like we, we had 2013, 2014 DFS. I mean, you know, it's way different now than it was back then. I mean, with the amount of tools that are available and publicly available or at least cheaply available projections and simulation outputs and just people understanding more conceptual statistics, just basic statistics on how to play the game well, that poker is similar. But I think the, the main difference is that in DFS, like I can play every game practically. I mean, like, like. You, it's like Phil Ivey could sit down at like every poker table in your card room, like an online poker and have no, like, n- there's no time difference. Like it, it doesn't, yeah, I can play the, the $5 games. Obviously some of the, 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 the sites restrict you from lower stakes once you get to a certain point, but like I could play every contest down to $5 on DraftKings if I, if I wanted to. And I relate, I relate live poker to online poker very similarly that I think the gap between online poker now and live poker, I think back in the day, maybe 2003, 2004, was similar. Live poker was still easier. You still found more fish live. But I think as 15 years go by, I think the gap is so much wider. I think it's more like DFS, like if you played the beginner games, like the games where like, like you get restricted after playing like 50 of them, and like, get up, you can't play the experience. But ba- once you get an experience badge, you can't play those games at all. Yeah. And like, to me, that's where that's live poker to online poker now. And it's not like, oh, it's not like a $1 DFS head to heads versus $1,000 DFS. It's like, no, the $1 head to heads are almost as tough as the $1,000 head to heads. But those yeah. really, those beginner games, people show me their graphs because I do the podcast, and I'll go, oh, I just started, and I'm playing the beginner games on FanDuel, and I have, uh, I'm playing uh, beginner double-ups, and uh, I have an 87% win rate. I go, yeah, good good, good, good luck doing that outside. And, and they're like, well, all I do is, like, pretty much play the optimal, and, like, people just give me their money because their lineups are so bad. I view that wow. very, very kind of similarly to live poker now compared to yeah. online, that, that, whole, that whole concept of, like, poker's changed i don't i don't think he has at that at that level yeah i I don't i I think you're right and i think the other part is that i still feel like natural talent at poker is important because in dfs nothing's happening in real time right no decisions are really on you in real time you have all the time in the world to sit down you know on your on your shitter or whatever and you know play on your phone and you know, look at projections or do whatever you need to do. You you always have some time to like create lineups and, and think about them if you want to take that time. Whereas in poker, you can't really like use real time assistance. You know what I mean? You, well, you unless unless you're unless you're Davis, he three minutes into his slate, he's already planning out late swaps for when he's behind. That, that's very true. Yeah, Davis is uh, <laughs> is is puts himself in in uh, untenable situations where he's up against the clock quite a bit. That is correct. Um, but yeah, that's, I think that's a big difference is like, it's really hard to like memorize poker. It's really hard to like do that. At the end of the day, you have to, you know, be able to take the things you've learned off the table and apply them on the table. Whereas I think in DFS, yeah, you can really sit down and if you have a good set of projections and optimizer, at least for cash games, 
you can, you know, you can do pretty well. Right. But, I, but even in, even in, even in GPPs, as far as like determining, you know, ownership, like to me, I, I view ownership very like, the, like the GTO stuff. I'm putting it in quotes. Cause it, I mean, I, to really call it, it's a, it's a bal. I could, I call it more balanced versus exploitative than like GTO. Uh, it's very similar to what we talk about here. I want to relate it to like the nerdy tenor episode that I did where he tries, he tries to play a balanced strategy. Like, and that really relates to GPPs and ownership where I'm just trying to play like GTO pokers that, that, the I'm just trying to play the players at their efficient ownerships, right? I'm trying to play a portfolio of lineups at its efficient frequency. And as long as the field is not playing efficiently, I'm guaranteed to make money. I can't be exploited, right? But that, as said on the podcast, that isn't the way to make the most money. That's just the way to make, to guarantee yourself plus EV. The way to make the most money is figuring out what the efficient ownership is and then based on how the field is inefficient, finding the strategy that exploits that field ownership. And that's where we get into, well, if this guy's going to be under-owned, you should be playing him at a higher frequency versus a player that's over-owned that you should be playing at a lower frequency. Like, that, to me, that's what I view, like, that, that the GTO poker solver type of thing where I understand its importance in, in like, in DFS, it's like when people ask me, it's like, uh, I think Miles Sanders is going to be uh, 24% owned and he's going to be over. He should, he should be 14% owned. And they go, well, how do you know that? It's like, well, I mean, we could run Sims and everything to do that. I, I, I'm a little bit, you know, it's, it's more of an art than a science, right? To use, use your term. But poker's like that, that is what exploitative strategy is in, in poker where, you have to kind of at least have a general concept of what like the most efficient way to play in certain scenarios, especially ones that happen often over and over again. And then depending on how your opponents are inefficient, then you could devise strategies. And a lot of times this, and a lot of times from a, from a GTO quote unquote perspective, you go like completely polar. Like you like, like once they're off a little, you're just doing stuff like, a hundred percent of the time or zero percent of the time. Yeah. But, but I, I'm playing these games. Like I, I went, I went a week ago. I'm like, no one's exploiting you. Like no one, no one is, no one is exploiting you. Like, no, like, like Sammy, I get into situations where I almost psych myself out where it's like, like, dude, I'm doing this so often doing this, like one line or one thing. So often it's like, how do they not pick up on it? And the really good players, even at the lower stakes, they will start to pick up on it, right? But you'll have half the table that fuck fuck all if they're paying attention to anything at that deeper level, where that's they're not exploit like they're, I'm just I'm not getting exploited, like so like I would listen to your podcast and you you have some lines in in your play that I go like why you like why are you doing that like you're not. Why are you messing around with this theory, buddy? Like, just, right? Why are you like, messing? Right? Why are you messing around? It's like, like, dude, like, like you profile the players, and I go, go, what the fuck are you raising here for? Or why aren't you raising? Because you're up against someone that's going to call eighty five percent of the time in this spot at this moment. 
Yeah. Why let another card out? I mean, like, like I, I sit there going, going, relating it to the, the live poker games that I play, and I go, well, if I'm in a spot where I like, like you have hands, some of your hands are like you're in a spot where you have to decide whether or not to four bet on preflop with like ace little something, and I'm like, dude, I'm like, I'm just like never in those spots. Like I theoretically, I understand the spot you're in. But it's like if I ever was in that spot, it's it's very similar to DFS, where if someone's like, uh, I'm always playing in head to heads against someone that has like a two v two off of me, and it's a very close decision. What do I do? I go find someone else to play a fucking head to head against. <laughs> right? Like like I I feel like that type of thing where I'm listening to Rahan going, Why the fuck are you playing against this guy? Like if you have to worry about your your four betting range to a three bet, where in my games that I play, which is similar stakes to, to yours. Like, like, it's like, dude, I, mean, I can find you. They have it. So it's like, why right. They I have it. it right. They're like, what, what you could just fold here and wait for a better EV opportunity instead of going, I think I have a 1% edge here. Let me go to 280 over a three bet with, with ACE little and, and just hope they, they fold a bet. Like you do not have the best hand when called. I, you under, you understand the point that I'm making. Like live poker, it almost feels like, like in listening to you at least, that sometimes I'm not saying that you shouldn't learn more, but like it, it's it's so similar to my you you know you know my my personality in DFS is like I'm a nit, and at the poker table we'll get into like how we play at the table. I'm not a nit at the table, but like I'm just I just want to find the highest EV spots. Yeah. And like, just get away from all the spots where like, it's, it's like this. It's like, dude, I could fold and find like a spot where like, I'm an, I, I have like an 87% equity edge. Like why, why am I fucking around? What, why, why am I doing this here? Why, why, why am I even bother playing a hands against this guy? Is there, is uh, there, is there somewhat a point to that? Yeah. I mean, so I'll say this. I mean, you're one of your, you know, famous taglines about DFS is play who you want. Right, play who you want, because when you get into the micro of oh, is this player a good player? Is this player a good play? Sometimes you miss the forest for the trees, and it's like you should just be looking at the macro, right? Make lineups that make sense. It's and and you've and you've printed. You're on eight consecutive years of winning DFS. Like that's fucking incredible. Like seriously. Um, but some people and, would look at the amounts and go, oh, you're only making, uh, you know, you're making like an entry level. Whatever it's like, dude. I'm in my fucking pajamas and I wake up at ten thirty in the morning. Go fuck yourself, <laughs> buddy. Freedom, freedom. Yeah, you don't have to run TPS reports for the man. I mean, right? That's, you know how much emotional equity is inherent in that. It's it's so sick. But it, I, I kind of liken poker to that. Whereas, you know, the the way that I've kind of tried to relearn poker is kind of like this like broad strategic sense and. Sometimes I don't just want to make the best plays, right? I want to make the plays that overall, over the long term, like really make me tough to play against, right? Um, and, and, and certainly, you know, I kind of cut my teeth at 2-3 at and then 2-5. And, you know, I'd say in the last, like, I don't know, year, six months, I've, I've been playing uh, bigger stakes games. And in those games, I do think, you know, having like a balanced, robust strategy is really important. So... Well, I do recognize that a lot of my plays, like in a vacuum, are probably like severely EV. At minus EV, it's just like, yeah, like just full versus this guy. Why are you why are you four bet jamming with Ace three suited? It's just like, 
Well, because, you know, the theory, you know, it's like, hey, you got to have some bluffs in there and I got a blocker and, you know, yada, yada. But that, that's kind of the way I like it is, is I really want to think about my strategy as a whole. And while I'm not trying to play like perfect GTO, I don't even think I could get anywhere close. Yeah, I really want to make the overarching strategy of what I do make sense. And that that's what makes sense to me. Well, I think the, the make sense is important because I, although we both played for a, if not for a living, for a substantial amount of income during the same time period. So like basically the boom, the moneymaker boom, right? Like the, the early to mid 2000s. Uh, like our backgrounds are actually quite different. Like I, like I, I primarily played live. Like I, I was, I was a live poker player. I learned How on, you? well, I learned on, let's see, I learned in 2002, I played on Poker Stars and Party Poker, but I played Limit Hold'em. So I played like $1, $2 limit, and I would play like two to two to four tables. And yeah. I would study, I, I would literally, on my way to work, I would print out my hand histories and go through every single hand and go, does this check out? Does this check out? Does this check out? Did, and and I read all the, two anything the 2 plus 2 published, and the 2 plus 2 forums, I would but, lurk yeah. and and read all that, but I got got good at limit limit poker. But of course, with Chris Moneymaker and everything, like no limit, like exploded. So like, and then getting like Ed Ed Miller's Small Stakes Hold'em book, and uh, I mean, obviously, I learned through like Theory of Poker, Hold'em for Advanced Players, but then like No Limit Hold'em Theory and Practice came out. So this No Limit stuff came out, and all the fish were playing No Limit. Like I. You go, you go to it, on the online one, two games were like 10 times harder than the live, like four, eight or five, 10 limit games. And probably yeah, yeah. the 10, 20 games were softer than those also when I was playing them. But you, then you go to the, the no limit games and they're even softer than that at that point. And you, anyone that makes a big mistake, I could take all their chips at once. So like I would, pl I, the live instead of playing online, I would I would play in underground clubs in New York City. So like, like yeah, I would go to Atlantic City every so often, go up to the Turning Stone eventually, you know, Foxwoods or whatever. But like these these underground poker clubs, like the primary game that was run was one two no limit, but with a five hundred max. So it's not as small, and also most of the people that buy in would buy in for the max, would buy in for five hundred. And it was typically an action game. Typically, it, to see a heads that the the com here the common thing is like button button open versus bl big blind, right? Like you like that's a studyable like like study your open range, uh, you know, open raise hands from the button to the cutoff versus a big blind. How often do you have to? That's a Vegas game. You go play in Vegas, right? How every right, button dude. Three, big blind defi defend, check flop. Big blind, uh, button bets, big blind check calls, turn, right. check, button bets, big blind folds the next hand. Every right. single hand. So right. Sad. But I, I I see that and I go, dude, I don't, I could go days without seeing that scenario. Like I could, like, dude, I could, I could, I could open under the gun with a tight image to 10x, to 10x the big blind, I could do 20 under the gun with a tight image, with an image of like, this guy doesn't play many hands and he only bets with the nuts and still get four callers. So like, 
what why am i why am i studying these 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 very like everyone's pretty good at the table type of theories and it's like no i learned how to play in action games with deep stacks and small blinds so and multi-way pots and multi-way yeah. pots a lot of the time so uh so my experience comes so i started as a very very type i was a nit nit in these games in the very beginning like knit knit, I, I mean, literally made fun of being like I was. I was the 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 less, least action player at the table. The night nice people want. I mean, it's not like I was sitting there doing. I knew I learned how to talk at the table, so it seemed like I was playing more hands than I was, right? Just so I make sure I could get some action. But even playing like that, I was making money because I would still get called. I would still like like I, like I could bet the nuts and still get called. Now, not as frequently as I should. But then through all of that, knowing like I developed the the hand reading, like like figuring out what other people think of me through having that very tight image of like like I'm so imbalanced in one direction that even bad most bad players or at least average below average players could pick up that when I raise I probably have top ten hands, top premium, you know, top seven percent of range hands. And I'm like, well, when I bet on the flop, when an ace comes, they think that I have an ace. So when they call me, like, they think I have an ace. Okay, what do I think they have? Like, and then obviously it's hard to get paid off in those scenarios because they kind of like are reading your hand face up and they're a below average player. So then I learned as a, with the tight image to throw in a lot more flop bluffs, semi bluffs, just so I would get paid off more right? And bet more and everything like that. But I always knew where my image sat on like what other people think I have. So like through two years, the first two years of playing, it was easier for me to read other people's hands because I knew what range they were putting me on. So I considered like once I opened up, once I learned more and then started playing much more, much looser and aggressive, like that, I always consider that to be my strength that I could just walk into these below average, average player ish type of games and go, I can narrow everyone's range down extremely easy because I can manipulate my image so that they, they look at me with certain lines and they're always misreading my hand. Unless it's a, like a first level player that isn't even paid, like the drunk guy that's calling everything. Like you don't think you just value about them to death. And like, like that's, that's monkey poker. So it's like I let uh, your background. If you were playing online at that time, like you had you had to have a more robust strategy. I mean, you could you couldn't do what I like. You wouldn't get away with it. And then eventually, when Poker Tracker and HUDs come into play, like it would be too easy to read. Like I'm I'm too imbalanced, even with what I'm doing, and the players are too good, and I don't get paid right. And then and I also get bluffed off too many hands. So I feel as if you came from from already playing against much tougher competition that when you sit down at a live poker game now, which is like substantially easier than for what you're used to, like we, we call FPS, like the fancy play syndrome type of stuff. Like I view a lot, I'm not saying what you're doing is wrong. It's just that I view a lot of the hands that you go through as like, wow, Sammy's going on reckless adventures, right? <laughs> right. Going on a lot, of, a lot of reckless adventures. And, and I said in the DM, uh, before to, to set up the podcast, I said, so many of your, like our stories of hands 
are so polar opposite of each other yeah. that you have more 80% of your hands are about your best bluffs. And like, if I was doing your podcast, my, my hands would all be about all my great thin value bets and, and inducing bluffs. And it's like, you don't even have it like so much of that there yet. We both typically based on how you play and uh, at least from the podcast, I think we both play, we both pre- present with, to the players, at least at the games that we play at, as fairly loose and aggressive. Not bad. They don't view us as fish, but they just view us, this guy could have a lot of hands. He plays a lot of hands pre-flop and tends to bet more often than check and fold post-flop. So using that to your advantage, like to, to me, like are there better ways to use that to your advantage. And that's why I, I would listen to your podcast and go, wow, there's so many spots that you can take advantage. If you don't, why did you have to dunk off a thousand dollars here? Like, like that money could have been so much better used on something else. Like I see, I, you make complete sense. I listen to it going. Absolutely. A- complete sense. But it's like, dude, the next hand that you get, you could take off 800 bucks from this other guy. Like, why the fuck are you getting yourself involved in this shit? Do you even, do you think about that? Do you think about like, like, do you think in terms of you're playing nine-handed or something like that and you see three people with bigger stacks that don't play well and go, I just want to get in as many hands with those guys? And then you see two people that you respect and you go, I, I'm the edge between us is, is small, so like, I'm just not going to go to war with these people. I'm just going to try to fight for the three people that have all the chips and just like go on, the, I'd go on those reckless adventures and not reckless adventures where you're where a strong player is 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 open raising and you're 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 three betting with fucking seven eight suited like that type of yeah. shit. Yeah, uh, sometimes I do, uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, I clearly you want to get in hands with worse players. Uh, I, I think that's good, um, and certainly I, I think I open my ranges up uh, versus those players. But against really strong players, you know, I, I tend to kind of go a little more balanced, right? Because you know, against them, it's yeah. But why? But the question is, why? Why can't you just play in balance and just fold all the all your best hands, uh, everything other than your best hands? Oh, because fuck them. That's why. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it's an ego. So it's an ego thing with you. Fuck them. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I'd say it's actually not. I think I think egos actually are really like poor and destructive thing in in poker, and I think in a lot of ventures in life. And you know, I I, I think that the more I've played poker, the more I try to understand that, you know, egos, if you can take the ego out of it, you're way ahead of the game because ego makes you do all sorts of things that you shouldn't do that you wouldn't otherwise do. Right. Like you take, it, you take advantage of that at the table. You wait for someone to make it about the ego and then you fucking snap off their bluff or some bullshit. Yeah. 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 Like everybody wants to like come after you if, or somebody bluffs you. It's like, Oh, I got to get this guy back or, Oh, this guy's got so many chips and he's so bad, you know, like, I just got to go after this guy, all that stuff. Whereas, you know, sometimes it's just, you just, you just play your hands and you just kind of do what's right. And, you know, kind of sticking to your overall strategy. Now that doesn't mean that you should, you shouldn't make adjustments. Like you have to, I think what you said at the beginning is so important that yes, it's good to know the theory. It's good to know kind of the, the baseline of what, you know, a, a theoretically correct thing would be to do, but you have to be able to, like make adjustments off of that. You have to be able to turn exploits off of that because you'll never make as much 
just playing a baseline strategy as you will trying to take advantage of what people do. Now, that doesn't mean that if I see other good players at the table that I'm going to somehow like abandon my strategy, right? I, I think that I've spent enough time on it and studied enough and all this to where like I'll go to war with anybody, right? Because at the end of the day, they're constrained by all the things that we're constrained with, which is the math of poker. No matter who you are, you're constrained by certain math. You're constrained by certain frequencies. And, you know, I, I, I'm not going to shy away from somebody, even though I think it's a less EV spot because, you know, I play cash games. Like these, these aren't, you know, it's right. We're, 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 we're both talking about cash games. Like I was, I was really not, never really a tournament player. Yeah, me, me neither. But I, I think that's the thing in cash games is it's like you can always take those 1% or 2% spots because if you're properly bankrolled, like it, it doesn't matter. You know, you get dusted mm -hmm. off. You can just buy back in or whatever. In a tournament, in those close spots, a lot of the times you just want to like get out because you want to preserve your stack. But in cash games, it's not really a consideration. So I'm I'm kind of willing to go high variance in a lot of spots if I think it's right, even if I think there's even a slight. Yeah, but is it high variance? Like here, here. Let, let me describe a situation that we would we get into all the time that you probably do one thing majority mm -hmm. and I do the other thing as a majority. Okay, so so let's say, and I love talking about hands. That's why I, lo I love your podcast because it's not just a, the thing is, Sammy. Your 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 podcast is not just about hands. Your podcast is when you go through your thought process, you could almost learn good strategies from just thinking in terms of like, well, I have this. He pro his range is here. It this this flop helps my range more than his range. I'm going to bet small because I'm more frequently like like once you start going through all this and you go yeah okay and now you could superimpose like what you did on a certain hand good and I could take it to a hand that I've played and go go theoretically am I am am I thinking in the right way and it's almost yeah. it's it's almost helping me because I'm listening to some other uh, you know poker training ish type of podcast. And a lot of it, it's weird for me to say, a lot of it sounds like the theory of DFS and not as pragmatic, and not as pragmatic, right? Like, like I feel like I'm listening to the advanced course that I made and it's like, well, if you're not used to some of these concepts at first, you, even though you may, you may do it, like you may think in terms of the theory of poker, you may think of the two plus two versions of those concepts and maybe doing them, but you're not used to the terminology and the way that, that it's, you know, like I would always call, you know, the big bet on the river. And I go, well, that bet is either nuts or nothing, right? Well, that's, that's what polarized, what polarized range is. Like, like it's the same, it's the same exact concept. But like, oh no, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing that correctly also, right? When you overbet the river with the nuts and you go and you get called because you get called by the bluff catchers. If you think you're going to, you don't have to care about the value of the other guy's hand. As long as they have a bluff catcher, they're, they're going to call a half size pot bet or a 2x pot bet depending on what you what you think of them and how they think about the game but like a, a common a common thing like i mentioned a common thing okay so here's the situation uh you're in uh, you're in middle position uh you're no you're you're in let's just say you're in the cutoff okay uh All middle right. position a sh very strong player right uh raises you're playing two, three, five. Your game, right? Someone raises to four, uh, to uh, twenty, in middle position, and you have uh, pocket tens. Okay. Now let me give you the context of the game. The guy on the button is loose as a loose passive fish, and the and and the guy on the uh, 
in the big blind is a loose passive fish and there's all and there's already been three limpers what do you do I, I three bet. Right, right. That, I, exactly. You're gonna say, "Well, I want to call because I want to play multi-way pot with these with these stinking fish." You might stack off, and buddy, I I, I think like I don't think because because what because what I'm th- what I'm thinking when you three bet and you and you have a hand like that, I go. So basically, what you're doing is you're isolating the best player at the table, right, to play him heads up in position, which you mm-hmm. do you which you may have an advantage on. Against mm-hmm. his range, because he may his his range he may be raising with top you know twenty eight percent or thirty percent, and you have a slightly better range than that. And my thought process is, uh, if I do three bet here, like I I'm more likely to call in position. I want a five way pot, and if I do have the best hand on the flop. I'm I have the strength to understand what everyone else is thinking. So when it does get checked to me. I could figure out what to do. And if someone else other than the pre-flop raiser bets, I could profile their hand much better and either get away on like an eight high board or fold or, you know, whatever, raise or something. Or I also, what it does is in a five-way hand, the pre-flop raiser almost needs to play as straightforward as possible. And they're, they're a strong enough player. They all do, they all do right? Right, right. Yeah. So now I could I can narrow everyone's ranges so much easier. And then if I hit, if I... If I do have the best hand or hit a set, the guy next to me that's good probably doesn't. I don't stack him, but I got three fucking other. I got I got four other people that will just overplay. You know, the board comes eight high. Someone has ace eight, and they want to give me 500 bucks for no reason in a five-way pot like this. Like, I want to be in those situations. And then if I want to even raise, and I, I think I have the best equity in this hand— I raise the guys 15 to 40 because I want now a three or four way pot with 40 bucks in it. And it still makes, I'm in position. So I get to control the pot. I get to get a free card. If I need it, I get to, you know, control everything. And if I get, obviously if I get, if I get a four bet by the preflop raiser, then I just muck my hand because in these games, once you see that four bet, like there's like, it's Very, always the net. Right. It, it, it's aces, kings. It's, 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 it's something. Yes. So well, you, and, you, and, but you understand the mindset true. difference of like, that's what I do 95% of the time. Yet you yeah. do 95% of the time. I understand the merits of why you do it, but you have to understand the merits of why I do what I do. Cause theoretically what I do, a solver would tell you it doesn't make sense. Right. If everyone that caveat, if everyone was playing GTO poker, my thing is, Everyone ate like, like, and, dude, I, I have so many imbalanced players in with me. Just like fucking give them to me. Yeah. Let me, let me just tell you. So I have a really good friend. One of my best friends in the world, his name's Josh and he is my poker buddy. He is a wonderful player. Um, sometimes it makes me sick how talented he is at poker. He's, you know, he's good at tournaments. He's good at cash games. I mean, he crushes cash games. He has cashed in the main event two years in a, in a row. Like the guy is just, He's the guy I talk poker with. We sit down and run Sims together. We talk theory together. I mean, he is. Is, I, is this it, the guy it, that you mentioned? You had one episode because remember, I, I binge listened to like the whole thing in a yeah. week. You had one hand where you asked your friend what to do. Like and he said something about like a min raise type of situation. Yeah. One of the that literally that's the, that's one of the episodes where I'm sitting here and I literally before you even mentioned it, I'm 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 yelling at the phone going going. 
raise this is a raising spot and most likely i'd more likely small raise here and then you mentioned it's like yeah my friend said that that he would he would have min raising and i think that's a very creative whatever and i'm just sitting there going it's not creative it's the fucking best thing to do what the fuck are you doing is that is that is that the same friend it's the same friend it's the same friend i did back-to-back episodes where we went on this trip to vegas Mm -hmm. and uh and and that's my friend who i went with and he is more like you, Jordan. He is, he wants to play multi-way pots uh, with really bad players. And he kind of seeks out, we have a card room up here called the Oaks Card Club, which is just like so action-y. The players are so bad. Basically, the the two five players there are like one three quality. Okay. Only That's the best the scenario if they're buying it for a thousand. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's so great. He goes late night when these scrubs come in and they're just dusting off stacks. And this is kind of what he does. He just goes... Super max exploit, and he kind of feels like his post-flop edge is so great mm. that it's going to kind of overcome, you know, uh, exploitative three-bet uh, pre-flop mechanics, right? And I think that's exactly what you're saying. And so him and I argue all the time. He's like, all right, let me start with this hand. Uh, this guy raises, I call him, like, no! And he's like, yes, I did. And so we, we have a real difference of opinion there, but... I think what it really comes down to, and this relates back to DFS a lot, is there's more than one way to skin a cat. You know what I mean? They do what you want, like play how you want, but as long as it makes sense, either through a GTO standpoint or an exploitative standpoint versus certain player types, you can make any way successful. You know what I mean? You can be more of a post-flop player or a pre-flop player, even though I don't necessarily think, I think those things are more related than... Most people give it credit for, um, you know. No, my, but I my mean, the, 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 right? The, the the point the the point that that I'm from a macro standpoint is making like in relation to that is that if if we think theoretically, so think about it very theoretically that if we if we're playing now, I'm the type I'm the type of player that uh, very similar to you that. If I'm opening, if I'm in late position, I'm pretty much opening. I'm raising with any hand that I'm playing. Like it doesn't. Like I'm not. I'm not. I'm not limping over six people with with pocket sevens or or ace little suited or like no. I make twelve. It's tw- and and most of the time my bet sizing pre flop in these types of games will give away nothing about my hand because I do the same thing all the time. So that's what I want them to think. I want people to not they. I'll aces twelve. Nothing twelve, every you know six x what whatever the whatever the standard is. Sometimes it gets really nitty, and the standard is like seven or eight, right? And then sometimes it gets really wild, where like you could you could go twenty five and get five callers. So it's like whatever that 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 number is. And the thing is, is that from a theoretical standpoint, if you're playing with that wide of a range, right, which is not absurdly wide, but more towards the GTO wide. Kind of because most people from 20 years ago think that range is nuts, right? They go, what are you raising 8-6 suited for on the button with like four limpers? And I'm like, that's what I sh- I, I really should be doing, especially against this the profile of people at the table. I'm in position. I'm going to get five callers and get to control the pot with a nutted hand. Let's go. Right, right. So, but, yeah. to, but to the rest of the table, I look like a, like a, like, like a maniac, right? Yeah. Post-flop, I may not. I'm much narrower, but to them, I, I look like I'm a laggy, you know, whatever the fuck. Uh, yeah, but you're in, a, you're in a lot of pots and you're right. pressing it. Yeah. Right. But the thing is, from a theoretical standpoint, 
the calls that I get on that bet pre-flop are much more in line with the proper equity of the, the player's hands, even if they're playing an even wider range, right? So like, like if I if I raise to 12 and I have aces even, or whatever I have, if I'm going to get four callers, the guy that's calling with Jack three suited is minus EV, but he's not he's not so significantly minus EV compared to calling me on the river with third pair when I bet the size of the pot with top two. Like like that is such a big EV spot that they're making they're actually making people think in terms of oh you play garbage. Right. Oh, bad players play garbage cards, starting hands. And I'm like, based on my style of play, they're really have the that they're get. I'm getting the least amount of edge from them calling with garbage. But I'm allowing myself to get into situations where they're on the turn in the river and they're making insanely bad EV decisions. So I'm from a macro standpoint. I don't I don't I don't want to exploit the smaller edges pre-flop. I want to get into as many situations where I can exploit the turn on the river against people that will make much bigger mistakes. So like your macro three betting thing kind of eliminates the amount of op- the amount of opportunities. So like you said different ways to skin a cat. You're and you say on the podcast, you like playing less hands in high frequency, right? In high intensity. And I'm the yeah. type of person that's like I play more hands in less in less intensity until we get to the turn of the river, and then we may start seeing a lot of chips go into the pot. And most, I'd say, most of the time when there's a lot of chips in the pot, I'm gonna win the pot, right? Yeah. I just want to get I just want to get there as quickly as possible against the worst players. So that's why when a strong player that I respect on how they play makes it 12 to go in a 1-3 game or something like that. Like, I look down at 6-8 suited, and I just muck the hand. Like, I either muck the hand, or I'm like, is this going to be a six-way pot? And I'm in position? Okay, I'll call. Like, you understand how the macro strategy changes that that you're... That's why we're you're not doing anything wrong. I just think that we're really on the polar opposites of, like, just even the way we think about how we make money playing poker. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely true because, you, I mean, obviously listening to the podcast, you realize that I'm pretty bluff heavy, right? But I can't be as bluff heavy if I'm playing too many hands, right? right. And so that's kind of that's kind of my that's kind of my thought about the whole the whole thing of like pre flop to post flop, right? Because yes, the the edges post flop are bigger in terms of an EV calc because the pot's bigger, obviously, mm-hmm. right? So those mistakes that people make on later streets are just going to cost them more money because the, there's more chips in the pot. Um, and I think that's absolutely true. But the way I think about preflop is it's a road to postflop. And so what most people do is they play too many hands. And that causes them to be imbalanced because at some point you have to do something with the hands, right? You it, That's just the physics of poker. You have to do something with those extra hands. You either have to fold them or you have to call them, or you have to bluff with them. But in any way, you're going to be doing one thing too much. And so the big mistake that I think most players make is they do play too many hands, right? And so to me, the the, the post-flop, the pre-flop edge is creating post-flop edges where those players either fold too much to my pre-flop aggression or 
they end up doing something too much on later streets when the pot's bigger. Now, you're taking advantage kind of specifically of when they call too much. And I think that most players, especially at lower live stakes, that is their main challenge, right? right. That is their main leak as the population goes. Um, you know, as you, as you move up, people's leaks are a little less pronounced. But if they're playing too many hands, they're still bound by these physics, the, these frequency borders that they either have to do something too much, fold, call, or raise, or whatever that looks like. And that's where you get these like player types, right? If you have, if you're playing too many hands and you fold too much, you're a loose passive, right? Right. And if you bluff too much with those extra hands, you're a loose aggressive. And if you call too much, you're just a payoff wizard. Um, but yeah, and my, and my the favorite player type that I do best at at the t- card rooms, especially yeah. like since like yeah, I came from action games, but a lot of times at least for the past 10 years, whenever I go, I'm typically going on a Tuesday afternoon, right? Something like that. I'll sit at, down at the table and it's like, the it's a weak tight game. Like it's, a, it's just, it's totally weak tight. And I just, and basically I just run the game over, yeah. right? Just, you, you could literally run the game over and you could, the reason why I like, it's the most fun form of poker because the loot, the loose passive action games like there's going to be a showdown every hand. It's like you have to yeah. show a hand and it probably has to be higher than one pair. Right? But the problem is a lot a lot of the weak tight players in those games play too many one play, play too many ace jacks and queen tens and hands that that play better one pair head to head type of thing. And I'm mucking those hands in those and like look dude, just like like dude, ace queen under the gun in those games, I just fucking fold. Like yeah. it's just like it's it's this is not a profitable hand in a seven way raised pot with people yeah. that are gonna go with gut shots every everything's going to the river and it's probably gonna be a four way call on the river like fuck you I ain't winning with it like like I'm throwing I need to make better hands I need to make more nut, nutted hands right. but weak tight players don't think that way the thing is is that in weak tight games what they do is they overfold so like oh when when players overfold too much like. I could just w- sit down. No one knows who I am, and in the hijack, cutoff, cutoff, and button, I'm like literally raising every single orbit, like in that position. No matter what, like as as long as no one raises. And the thing is, is that the pot isn't raised like ninety percent of the time because the only time anyone at this table raises is with like jacks plus or something like that. So right. it's like so I, I'm raising, and then the thing is, in the beginning. They don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So it's like I have to give them credit. They think I have a hand. So I'm just going to bet any texture aboard that they would think that I that my hand hits, right? And ace comes up and I see and I, these tables I see bet 100 nearly 100% of the time because they overfold too much. It's fit or fold mentality and if they don't hit it, they don't hit it. And if they do, if I get check raised, I'm done because like they have better than one pair because they think I have Always. one pair. Always. And I, and I think that goes back to your point earlier about if somebody's imbalanced even a little bit, like they're overfolding even a little bit, mm-hmm. the proper adjustment is just to go a hundred percent, you know, the, the other way to see right. that a hundred percent because that's going to yield the, the biggest advantage. And yeah, but the, know, the, it, it's Sammy, the biggest that, that isn't, but. That's the byproduct of the biggest advantage. The biggest advantage is when you when you go back and forth. The biggest advantage is when you sit down at the table, raise every late position hand, see bet every flop, and 
if I don't get, if I'm not getting called enough, I periodically lower the frequency and I periodically fold more like, because they haven't seen my hand and I know that they think that I'm a laggy person. So I know that I'm going to, I'm going to now get called at a much higher frequency. They're going to open up their ranges. So now when I raise on the, like now I'm raising with, but now I'm raising ACE 10 suited or higher and they're going to put me on God knows what. And then you see bet the flop. And now next thing you know, they're calling off pot size bets with top, with the, with second pair type of thing. And then once they, once you show them that, then you go to the other way, then you go the other way and you constantly go back and forth based on what your image is. And then in the beginning of the, if let's say in the beginning, you, you are showing down the best hand on, on the river, even though you're raising every hand, they're going to give you more credit for a hand, even though you're raising every hand. So now I'm bluffing more, right? So now like to me, the, 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 the EV outcome is not necessarily even in the hand that you're playing at the current moment, but in all subsequent hands that you're playing against the same people at the same table. And that behavior that I, that is innate to me comes from the fact that in online poker, you see people come in and out. It's just screen names and things happen all the time. And when you play private games in the clubs in New York city, like, dude, I, I, I could on Thursday, I'm playing against the guy that I, I've probably played 600 hours of poker again. Like, most of the table, like, I've played substantial periods of time with where it's like, well, I know how this, pretty much how this guy plays, and he kind of has a sense of what I do, and then I fuck with him by going back and forth, and they never adjust anything. So, like, my, that's why when I listen to your podcast and you go, well, you're doing this, like, dude, I could, like, the better I could profile the below average players, the good players will play balanced enough that I see that my EV advantage over them isn't, it's it's almost not even worth playing that that macro mentality of when I sit down at the table is like, let me profile as many of the players as possible and then determine who do I want to play my hands against and who do I not want to play my hands against and then play eight to 10 hours and just, that's it. I'm, I know the guy, I, I played this, this past uh, fucking Tuesday and the guy sitting right, right next, right on my, uh, on my my right was a was a good player was I don't how good who knows but someone that completely I I would respect their play and it's like I don't know there was, was like I can't I barely remember a hand that we were at the river and it was just me and him I mean like I like I can't even remember a hand but like there were two guys at the table like like dude I'm in every hand with them and that's and getting back to the point of like in theory of DFS I I say that. The number one thing that will affect your ROI is your opponent, the strength of your opponent, the relative strength between you and your opponents. And it's very similar to that theory of poker, David Sklansky, two plus two type of thing of like the, the single most important choice that you make when you walk into the card room is what table you sit at. So do you, do you, do you feel as if like if you have no choice other than to sit at a table with a lot of strong players do you feel as if you would be you would make more money playing against softer opponents, or do you believe that there's an edge? You you understand what I'm saying? It's like it 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 it, 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 it and, just and, it goes everything and, that you do goes against my like. Why don't you just find the sucker at the table and then stack them? 
and or or bluff them out of a pot or do you do all that that and a, a lot of your hands are interesting but you go through the, the thought process of your hand and i go if you're playing against the guy with that range like why the fuck are you sitting there like like i like i i sit i that it's hard for me to not think that's it's hard for me to go like dude you 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 describe oh loose passive fish there whatever and it always seems like you're by the end of the hand you're in with the good the play the player that you shouldn't be in the hand they, all these other people fold and it's me and me and Mister Mister other shark player and it's ego contest and we're swinging dicks right yeah, I mean that that definitely does happen but I absolutely think that game selection in poker is massive and and what you know Splansky said the most important decision you make is what. Table you sit down at, 100%. 100% of this. Um, you're always going to make more money from bad players because their imbalances, they're going to be more, they're just going to be more obvious. You'll be able to take advantage of those better than you will a good player uh, 100% of the time. Do you do, do, you, I, not, do, do you not think? tell those stories as much because they're just boring? Yeah, I don't think that they're as interesting, right? Like, right, because oh, yeah. bet call, bet call, bet call, right, bet Third size pot bet, half size pot bet, full size pot bet. Call to TPTK, and they yeah. fold. Is not a is not. It's just like oh, calling station value bet, make money. What's there to what's there what's there what's really that interesting about that? Exactly. There's plenty of hands that happen like this. You know, when I when I do an episode, I talk you know two hands, maybe four hands out of hundreds that I've played. Right. Um, you know, you can't you can't get all the get all the, the, the little minutia of it. You know, it's not a poker vlog where I get to show you every hand that I was involved in. And we, we were talking about this over DM. I definitely think that, you know, the number one thing you can do in poker to make a lot of money is just value bet well, right? There, there's other aspects, but if you value bet well, I mean, you know, you'll get called. And I think the imbalances of the population, like we are talking about at the lowest stakes, people call too much. And they call too much with weak hands because they arrive in these situations post-flop with too many hands. And so their default is to, is to use them as calls. Uh, they, that's their big imbalance. And kind of what I found is you like go to 2-5 and 5-10 and is that the imbalance comes. These people don't, the population anyways, mm. they don't stack off as much with like one pair with bluff catchers, right? Mm. What they do is they're too weighted toward looseness on early streets, pre-flop and flop. And then once you get to the turn and river, they will overfold to big right. aggression. That's correct. That's, that's, that's the exploit that I found in the population is, you know, when, when I first started coming back to poker, man, I was playing just like you were playing. Like, I was just like, dude, all you got to do is sit around and make hands and these fuckers will just pay you. That's all you got to do. They will pay you and you don't have to do anything else, you know? Um, and, but you buddy, could I, do, I, but you could do, the thing is, I agree with you. You could do more. Like there's that absolutely the, 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 the point that I'm making is that where you do the more, I, 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 I'm less inclined to go on reckless adventures. It's, it, it's, it's so weird. Like this is why I, I wanted to have this conversation and I don't care if people are listening going, well, what does this have to do with DFS? Well, hopefully you're getting something out of it and maybe it relates, but it's my podcast and I felt like fucking talking. It's all theory of, of, of gaming and gambling, right. first off. And secondly, you know, just, just buy Blender's course. I mean, you know, right. you know just easy. Yeah. Just right. Buy it and drink. But like in the situation, like you, you go through hands and I, 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 if you, if you have any interest in poker, like truthfully, like Sammy, 
your podcast is excellent. It's entertaining, and you could learn like you could literally you could learn how to play good poker just by the stuff that you say. And I and I don't want to put this out like like oh I disagree with everything that like ninety percent of the stuff that I like you go oh this is how I played my hand good and I go yeah you played the hand well. Right or you play the hand badly, go yeah you fucked that one up right, right. <laughs> that happens all the time too, doesn't it? <laughs> but the main the main thing that that uh, that annoys me about your podcast is that it doesn't provide the context that is my strength. So I need to like I I you're a broad base and you said it before you have a broad based strategy that you could apply to a lot of different profiles of players. And you could rely, you could rely on it. Like it said, said in, in GTO, quote unquote, poker, that if you're not good at reading hands, if you're not good at, at profile, if you're not good at image play, if you're just like, I don't know these eight, nine people, whatever at the table, or are you playing six handed five people, whatever. And you're like, I'm not sure. Well, now you have this, this, this baseline of like, well, if I'm not sure, I'm just going to play the, the least exploitative way that no one could exploit me. I'll try to stay as close to that. And worst case scenario, I break even, but I'm I'm not doing anything long term negative EV, and I play with a much more narrower micro strategy of like I'm gonna get in, and I know it's it's so similar to how I play DFS. Like it's it's in DFS, I I say that my ownership, like I make adjustments to ownership based on what I think everyone else is gonna do, and I believe that my judgment on that is more accurate than any industry projections, although it relies on the fact that I'm going to be wrong sometimes, right? Like I'm, I'm, oh, this guy, sh- this guy's going to be like 20% owned and he should be 12 and he ends up coming in at 6% and I go, what the fuck happened there? Or I think this guy's going to be low owned, but everyone thinks that guy's going to be low owned and he comes in at 22% and I go, well, my lineups are fucking awful now, right? I didn't mean to play that high owned a player in that spot, right? Like that type of thing. So when you play poker, in, in a highly exploitative way, when you're narrowing people's ranges down much, much more than like anyone thinks broad based wise, you're just opening yourself up to be majorly wrong. And you could spew a lot if you're wrong often. Sure. And I just rely on the fact that I'm right more often than wrong. Right. And you will, you can get exploited by good players that are paying attention, mm-hmm. but the reality of live poker is that the majority of players out there are inequipped. They are fully inequipped to be able to take care to to take advantage of your weaknesses, to take care of Dude, if if if, if someone if someone to my if someone to my left 4x3 betted me every time I raised, they'd make a fortune. Do you know how much of a fortune they'd make? You'd right, right. I wouldn't want I wouldn't buy fuck you. I I'm sitting on the other side. I'm sitting Right, because you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna fucking I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna raise with only my premiums and wait for you to fucking three bet me. So like, because yeah, I because yeah. the thing is I wouldn't be able to limp against you because you'd look at my my open limp and go go fuck yourself and and fold your hand because there's no fucking way that you'll ever see me open limp, <laughs> right? But those but the things that we're joking about, like it's it's amazing to me that it's 2023 almost and people have said poker's gotten better. And I and I and I sit at a, 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 a two five game and I go, where, where has it where has it gotten better? Where like I know I'm playing absurdly imbalanced, 
and no one is noticing. Like no one is noticing. And I'm and I'm it's almost like monsters under the bed type of thing. Like I got to stop doing this because someone like oh, and then I'll, I'll, what happens is I'll get three bet by someone and I'll go, is he fucking with me? Is he fucking with me? Is he fucking with me? Like he's seen me raise like fucking 700 times in this spot. He's three betting me because now he's doing it with air. And then I muck and then he shows me aces and I go like, no one's noticing. No one's noticing. Yeah. He's got, it. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you. So I've been, uh, you know, if you've listened to the latest episodes of the, of the podcast and I haven't put out a ton during holiday season here, but I've been playing pretty regularly in this private game that mm-hmm. gets, I mean, it gets as big the other night. It, it turned into a five, 10, 20, 40. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big game. And even the players in this game, like they're not very good. Even the okay players are just not like super equipped to like take care of your to take advantage of your imbalances. And I think Blender, and it kind of relates to something you're talking about your projected ownership and what you think the field is going to do based on that. I, I think really relates to poker in the sense that knowing solver outputs, knowing GTO and stuff like this, it's not as important to apply it yourself, but it it really helps you understand the imbalances that other people have. Right. That was the biggest thing when I started like, and I'm not a huge like solver head. I don't hang out and you know run Sims all day, but I work with them a little bit. But I think the biggest thing is like, once you understand what the, what the approved GTO strategies are, you can see how far other people are diverging from those. And it just makes their imbalances a lot clearer to you, if that makes sense. Like before you're like, oh yeah, this guy's really loose or this guy's really aggressive or something like that. But once you understand solver outputs, you can kind of refine that a little bit and be like, oh yeah, well, he's too loose pre-flop, but you know, he overfolds here or he doesn't aggress enough here. It just, it just makes it a little more, I don't know, like, like detailed. And I think that, like I said, ties into what you're saying about ownership projections versus how's the field going to adapt and try to take advantage of those right. ownership projections. Right. It's like, like the ownership projection could say that Derrick Henry is 20% owned, but he's facing the Texans. So like everyone is going to play this fucking guy. Like, I don't care that he should, that everyone's, oh, 20%, no, 35%. God, fuck you. That's what real people, that's what real people do, right? They right. go, the Texans run defense and Derrick Henry got to play him, right? Like it's just, it's, it's. A, I mean, it's have you seen Derrick Henry's last four games against, right. against the Texans? I mean, yeah. Right. When 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 you when you can play Nelson Aguilar in cash, you got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Those fucking Aguilar teams beat me when they play fucking Hawkinson in the tight end spot. Those motherfuckers, buddy. Or or you're just like Davis and you and you uh, late swap to uh, the to the nuts. Right. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Very very brutal. But uh, tell me, talk talk a little bit. Um, I, I just kind of want to hear like what your experience has been. Besides that, everybody's bad. Like, what did it feel like to like be back on the felt? Like, how did it make you feel? What was what was going through like your it, it, was, it was. I have a. I. I don't, may not project it, but I. I have a lot of self. I have a lot of imposter syndrome. Like, I may not project it, but I. But I. I'm always in the sense of like I could always be learning. I don't know it all. Never get into that mindset of you know it all or any like. I think that's horrible. Now, when I'm teaching, I'm typically teaching concepts that. I believe that I have mastered. Doesn't mean that there's nothing more to master, but typically when, so I can be confident in like, yeah, this theory, that theory, this thing, that strategy. And of course we're dealing with both poker and DFS. 
Well, there's no such thing as a black and white right answer. There's no right or wrong. There's more likely or less likely type of situations. Uh, and then the context, like every hand is different. Every opponent is like there's there's so many permutations of things, of variables, that there's no like definitive like 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 the same way in DFS of like uh prob- probably uh, don't play like you could say well don't play an injured player that's going to get zero points. It's like well in certain showdown contests when the guy's two hundred and that's the only way to stack the five studs like that could be in the winning lineup. So even that. It's like that. It's like in poker. It's like here. Here's what. Here's the thing that's always correct. If uh, a guy shoves all in on the river and shows his hand and it beats yours, don't call. <laughs> like, like there you go. Or when it's checked. Like the the biggest mistake is if you have the nuts when checked on the river. Like never check. Like that's that that would be always wrong. Like even betting a dollar is better than checking because you have the nuts. And you're last to act on the river. Like that's those are like pure 100 percent But everything else is is all all over the place. But I I sat down. I have not played poker in six and a half months. I played in Las Vegas when me and my wife went uh to for uh wrestling for a double or nothing at AEW. Uh so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go on Tuesday. With I Sammy, I, I don't mean I don't mean to sound like like I, I, I I'm I'm the best or anything like that. But I felt like ten minutes in, I felt it was like riding a bike. Yeah. I didn't expect. I didn't. But the thing is, I, I every time I go to play poker, which is months apart at this point from the past five or six years, I always go in going, "These guys know more than me. These guys know like this is. It's going to be harder. This is whatever. I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be horrible at reading hands. I'm gonna be. I'm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play too tight. I'm gonna whatever like that. And like within ten minutes, it's like. I feel like it's 2005 again. Like, I feel like I'm literally sitting down to play a 12 hour session. Like I do six days a week in New York city and it's similar. It's type of like, and I, and I, and I go, th- and I go through the hands and I go through and I think, should I've done this? And should I, that I, I have a cigarette and I think through hand, I go, I think I'm playing extremely well. Like I, I, what? And I almost think to myself, how am I playing how am I playing well? Like, I don't understand. Like, what, shouldn't I be rusty? I don't, is that a weird, is that the opposite of what you're supposed to, like, aren't you supposed to be rusty? I mean, yes, yes and no. I think the way that, you know, you, you play, and I think we're both very similar in that, you know, we, we kind of get our kicks from these mental challenges, right? This problem to be solved. Can I solve it better than other play, than other people can solve it? And once you get to a, a high level, you're not even competing against other people, really. You're competing against yourself, right? How right, right. A, a lot of the times, my my the things that I kick, like it's it's the it, weak player. It's it's very similar to DFS, where people like when they win, they go, "Well, I was I'm great," and that was awesome. And when they lose, they go, "Well, I was either unlucky or what did I do wrong?" Right? right? When right, they right. lose, I beat myself up over the hands where I'm driving home from the card room going. I made two hundred and twenty dollars that hand, but could I have made four hundred? Like, oh yeah, like yeah, I, and then yeah, I think yeah, of a situation. Yeah. Go, I could have, I could have. That wasn't the maximum on that hand. Well, that sucks, right? And it's like, oh well, you you made sixteen hundred dollars in, in in six in eight hours of a fucking one three game, and I'm like, should have been twenty five hundred, right? Like, but to me, that's a sign of a good player. Like the sign, the the bad players are ones going, like you see at the table where they they they. They check behind with two pair 
on a, on a board where like I'm gonna catch so many bluffs here that why aren't you betting like a quarter of the pot? I'm gonna call. I'm I'm like I'm calling like all the time here, and you don't, and you don't get your thin value bet or something like. Thanks, like th- th- thanks for not costing me eighty bucks. And I'm like, those are the situations where I'm on. If I'm on the other player's end. I'm fucking going to the nearest wall and just bashing my head in going, how the fuck did I not get 80 extra dollars there? Right? Yep. Well, and that's, and that, and it's all, you know, DFS and poker, it's all process versus results. It's not, oh, I won, you know, two buy-ins here, so I played great. It's not, oh, I lost two buy-ins here, I played terrible. It's like, that's almost incidental, right? It, obviously, you look at your DFS results over a full year, and, and that'll tell you at least pretty well how well you played. Um even even then, there's a lot of variance inherent. But like any single slate, any single poker session, the results of it mean just about nothing. But if you're really good at examining your own process, being you know self-aware and and really honest with yourself about did I play well, did I make the right decisions, etc. Uh, I yeah, I think you're I think you're way ahead of the game. And you know, like I said, I think we both get get our get our kicks from you know trying to solve problems and. When, when I'm on the poker table, man, it's just I feel so happy because there's always a problem to solve. It's like, oh, here's a hand. Here's a problem, right? Here's here's a player. Like, this player is doing this. Like, man, like, I got to figure this out. How do I exploit this person? And, man, it's just I, I, I love live poker. I, I, I really didn't play it much back in the day. I was an online pro, and I just, like, clicked buttons and, you know, tried to do the right thing. Once I started playing live poker, I was just like, dude, this is incredible. Like I love it so much. I just it's like my thing now. And, and, because because yeah. the, the the thing is is that the problems that you're trying to solve are much more directional and conceptual rather than looking at VPIP. Like what well, what's his VPIP? What's his fold rate over here? What's it like like you're looking at spreadsheets and yeah. doing that is it's the same thing. It's it, to me it's 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 the in DFS of like Oh, I'm playing double ups. Uh, let me press the optimal button and play that, and like that's right. like thirty seconds, and be like, "You do that one year? You just played the for NBA, the, oh, NBA on FanDuel? I just did that on fa- for NBA on the every slate, and and made twenty grand. And it's like, <laughs> like what? What? Like, uh, but understand, it's because I was eligible at the one dollar and two dollar level. So just understand that I was able to get a lot of volume at lower stakes. Uh, but I at the live poker to me is. There's no DFS equivalent really to it, but you start thinking so much more, like you get so much more nuance from the players. Like there's in online poker, it feels like it's like, oh, you describe someone like you have these like categories of like, like six to eight player types. Right. And you're like, okay, there's like, but at a table, you, you get so much context of like, is this guy down? Is this guy up? Is, yeah, he, yeah, is he, is he, is he, is he, what hands did he play against me? Is he like, dude, this past session, I'm, I'm only, cause that's the only eight hour and a half hours that I have to even talk about is that literally two out that I, I, I played against this guy that was sitting two seats over from me that got to the point that, that I would, I, that I would raise, I would, someone would raise or something. I would call the guy would look and see if I'm in the hand and go, and if it was heads up, would not play a hand against me. Only because only because I beat him on like three or four hands in the course of like two hours. And he's like, I ain't playing again. I he's like, but friendly. He wasn't being like pissed off. He was yeah, he was joking he's, around. He's, he's, right. He's he was 
He was the worst player at the table. He was very, very loose and overly overplayed and over aggressive. I ended up, I ended up stacking him twice after that. But what, whatever the point is, like it gets to that that point. But the nuance of like, how does that player think? How does this player think? Oh, a guy sits down next to me. I've been playing at the table for six hours. His image of me is going to be much different than this guy's image of me who's seen me play for six hours. So when yeah. this guy three bets me next to me, like, like he has a hand. Like like no one three bets light. But the guy that I've been fucking destroying, when he go, when he 7x three bets me pre-flop, like I'm like, I think he thinks I have shit. Like I, I, I open his range more because – but the guy next to me, I don't – like that puzzle – to me, that puzzle – is something that I almost feel like is only in live poker and so much less in online poker. Do you feel the same? Like you get, you understand what I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. Uh, Online poker is pretty sterile, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's numbers on your, on your HUD and you know, maybe some hand history if you're, if you're like a reg at the stakes, but like by and large, you know, live poker is just so visceral, right? Does, does the guy have a drink in his hand? Is he frustrated? Is he angry? Like, is he stuck? Is he up? Is he feeling himself? Is he thinking? The thing about online poker is that you can't tell if someone's thinking because they may be playing eight tables and just waiting to get around to hitting a button. But there's so much, the the difference between, like, I could describe a hand and I could change the entire context of the hand by saying, I bet half of the pot on the turn and the guy thinks for 10 seconds and then calls. And it's much different than I bet half the size of the pot on the flop and guy next to me immediately calls. Like that if you played live poker, that's a, there's a huge difference between those two things. Huge. Right. But you don't yeah. but the people because that just play online, they don't get those. Like you don't yeah, you just don't get that. Yeah, people are playing uh, multiple tables or maybe they just like let their time bank go to the same spot every time, right. whatever that is. But in the live situation, you're, you're considering the guy's almost always capped when he snap calls because he didn't take his time to consider raising there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, it's those, it's those small things. And, you know, it, I also think it's just so like social and fun and there's just so, so many aspects to consider. And the more of those aspects you're good at taking in, uh, you know, the better you're going to do. And I think you probably have a pretty natural proclivity to to understanding those things about other players. And, and that's going to help you be successful, even if your, like, theory of poker is more rusty, right? right. The, the fact that you understand people so well and, you know, the energy that they're putting off or the spots that they're in, you know, that, that'll kind of take it, you what, a long way. I use the third level well. Against yeah, what, average what, players, what, what, what do they think? What do I, I think? Ha- that like they think I, I call what I do simulating lines. So like, yeah. like that. Since you talk about hands, why don't we talk about some hands, buddy? Let's go. Okay, so this is what this, this here's is I, I have two hands. You oh, come buddy, up with yes. come up with two hands. What I want right. to do as an experiment is I'm I'll go through a hand and go get to an action. Get to, get to someplace and then ask you, like, so what do you do? And then you could ask me questions about any context about anything, and then then I'll go through and I'll say what I think, and then we'll go we'll go very. I like I said, I love the format of how you how you tell your your stories. Other than you miss a third level context that I would love, 
But other than that, like, it's very easy to, like, I've, I've listened to other podcasts that go over hands, and it's very, it's, it's so spreadsheety in a yeah, way well, that I'm not, that I'm not necessarily accustomed to, that I don't need all the spreadsheety stuff. Like, I, I, I want that, give me, give me the broad, basic, directional, conceptual stuff, rather than, well, he, he has 38 combinations of this, and he's 63% in this range. Like, do you could just say he's more likely to have these types of hands and less likely to have those types. Like, don't fucking spreadsheet this up. I, I don't need to know the, the precise shit, right? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, one of the reasons I kind of decided to do my podcast the way I do is because I've listened to other poker podcasts, and they'd spend 45 minutes talking about a single hand, and I was like, fuck this. Like, right. It, yeah, I, I I just can't with it. Like, so no. do you have do you have a hand? I, I want you start. Do you have a hand in question uh, that that you could think uh, of? No, I I actually don't. Let me uh let me let me see if I can no. uh and try to come up with like maybe maybe a hand. It could have been from your past podcast or whatever, or or at least a hand that is more representative. So I'm I'm, I'm assuming we're gonna get to a hand where you're fucking bluffing like a motherfucker. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, obviously. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, okay. we'll, we'll just, I, I'm just looking at my notes here of like some hands that I'm going to put on the podcast, maybe. Okay. Uh, so hands I haven't put on there. Okay. Um, but let's let's throw one out there. We are, we're playing two, three, five, ten. So there's a $10 straddle. This is at a card room. Okay. okay. Uh, I have about 1.6K in front of me. I'm in middle position. I open to 35 with red tens. And then there's a good sharp player in the small blind who cold calls, and then a professional in the straddle calls as well. So three ways we are in the middle, and okay. the other two players are pretty okay. good. Okay, I, I got a question now. Okay, so yeah. I'm going to stop the action. Uh, how how often does small blind three bet? Is he the type of person that typically three bets out of the blinds? Uh, yeah. Good question. So see, this, this is, is actually, what I mean by the context of like, what is he like? Is he the type of person that will almost always three bet? Because like, what I'm saying is, is I'm looking for an imbalance of like, if he's the type of person like you, that's like, right. dude, I'm three betting out of the blinds like to, all the time. Like, yeah. if you were to just call call, that would send up signals of like something's something's up in some way here. So I wanted to know if this is the type of person that would almost always three bet in that spot. Yeah, I, I would say no, and the reason I don't know for sure is because I don't remember who the player is. You don't is. remember what it is. So what's yeah, the difference? I, I, I with don't remember. If, if I knew who he was, I'd probably be able to tell you, but I'd say population-wise, I would say no, it is not uncommon for a small blind cold call. I'd say oh, okay, okay. And what's the difference the between the guy in the small blind and the straddle? You say one is strong and one is a pro. Is the, What's the contextual difference between the two? Um, one of them, if I say pro, then I know the guy's a professional. So okay. he's like a regular who I know like plays for a living. Okay. As opposed to like a sharp guy who like plays pretty well, but probably does not. This isn't his just not recreation. Okay. Okay. That's I didn't know the difference. So ba so basically, I would think in this. So you have what two? You got what do you got? What do you got? Again? Uh, I have uh, uh, hand wise. Yeah. Pocket tense. Right okay, you got pocket tense. So you get cold called by that guy. Uh, the guy the guy in the big blind could could. He's a pro player, but he's getting he's getting like three to one, so his hand range could be pretty damn wide. Uh, I assume so. Right. 
the cold caller, though, is more I'm concerned about. Uh, What? Here's another contextual question. What is their perception of you? What each of these guys' perception of you? So, like, do they think that you raise light? Do they think that that you play too aggressively? Do like, do they think of you with an imbalance? Whether or not you are imbalanced is a different story. But do they do they think of any imbalance in your game? Yeah, I, I think they probably assume I'm a overly aggressive player. Okay, so you have to yeah. think the cold caller almost has to have a strong hand because if he thinks that you're you're three betting light unless you call three bets you call three bets way too often like he would most likely just he would blast through you more like I'm not saying he will but he's you have to figure that he's much more like if he thinks that you're raising light too often so like and am I at least on the right ballpark that the main guy that we're concerned about is the small blind cold call and not the big the big blind guy his range is I mean he could he could have jack eight suited there and there's no problem with that. Absolutely. The okay. yeah, the, the small blind the small blind with two players, because there's the big blind and the straddle, with two players left to act. Right. He's not closing he's not closing the action. He's gonna have to play the pot out of position. I assume he has a legitimate hand. I, I'm assuming the type and also a type of hand that maybe you're playing multi-way, so like an ace queen suited, like a maybe a maybe pair eights like that like a hand that you don't really mind multi-way but like if he had like ace nine or something like he's he's raising or folding like in that I would, I would i would assume assume so okay would, yeah. are you finding this fun are you finding this fun i, I like go, i like going through okay okay. okay what happens so, next so we're going we're going three ways to a flop and we have position the two guys are out of position on us and the flop comes what is it Nine five three rainbow. Nine five three rainbow. We have two red tens, and they both checked us. There is one oh five in the pot. Okay, so uh, they both check. That's kind of standard. If if uh, if the if the original player, if the small blind player, had a uh, uh, medium strong hand, I would figure that based on what you what range of hands that you could have, he's more likely to bet than check because in a three-way pot, he wouldn't want you to check behind with, because you're most likely going to, with a three-way pot versus a heads-up pot, you're going to be a little bit more, a little bit more honest. He doesn't view you as like a loose, like, see bet everything, you know, spewy, whatever like that. So well, with that, but he does, he does think I'm overly aggressive. Oh, he does. Okay. So then maybe he's more likely to go for a check raise with that, with a hand like, like, uh, well, it's a rainbow board, so it's uh, it gets checked to you twice. How how often do you see do you see bet like way too like to them? Do you see bet way too often? Uh, I'm kind of gonna I'm kind of gonna structure it in the sense that you know I don't expect them to do a lot of folding, so mm. I'm essentially gonna gonna use a C bet structure that's uh, that's so gonna bet small that's pretty structured. So I'm gonna be betting. Two overcards a lot, so it's nine five three. I'm going to be betting two overcards a lot that have backdoors. So whichever three suits are on the board, I'm going to do a lot of betting with queen jack suited, jack ten suited, um, ten eight suited, seven eight suited, etc. I'm going to use those as my as my kind of c bet bluffs, and then I'm going to likely you know bet obviously my good hands, my overpairs, my 
9x, et cetera, for value. I'll probably bet my 5x for value too. If I had something like Ace 5 suited uh, with a back door, I would absolutely be betting it here. So I'm going to kind of structure like that. And I'm going to use a lot of my missed over cards that don't have back doors, i.e., Ace Queen offsuit, Ace Jack offsuit, right. Ace King offsuit. I'll probably put those in a checking range and kind of. Yeah, maybe this, play is, it. this is this is going to show the difference between how we how we think about poker. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're, you're you're going you're 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 becoming a spreadsheet, and I'm not. Uh, yeah. I what I would do on based on your description is what what is there what sixty bucks in the pot or something? It's a twenty dollar. No, rate? there's there's, there's one oh five. Oh, one oh five. Okay. I'd, pro I'd, pro I'd probably I'd probably bet fifty forty forty five like something like that half half pot. Well, your hero does bet exactly forty five. Okay, so like that's what I would do because this is this yeah. is my thought process. It's a dry board pretty much. They're gonna expect that you're going to bet on a dry board with your range anyway. Like, like you're going to have over pairs. You're going to have, you're going to have top pair. You're going to have, you, you're, you're a much wider range. So like you could have hit the nine, you could have hit some of these cards. Uh, and you're more likely to bet with an over, especially with two, with two players in, you're going to, if, if you, if you have a hand, like you have, you're privy to, to Jack's Queens kit. You're privy to so many over cards that if you could get one fold, you're in a much better spot. You don't necessarily want both of them to fold, nor do you want both of them to call. But like, if you bet here and both of them fold, you had the best hand and you're most likely not going to induce a bluff. You're probably not going to make any more value. It's not going to matter. But you would rather be up against one opponent on the turn than right now. And especially with the big blind that has an even wider range of hands of you, maybe you do get calls. If the first guy folds, the big blind may still call you with a nine- with a five, with a smaller pair, because he may think that you you may have ace king or that type of hand, but the main guy in the small blind can't is harder to call with the and he has a narrow much narrower range, so it's hard for him to call with ace queen with a backdoor because he has another player against. So that the small bet, the bigger bet, it makes no sense because essentially when you bet that bet a pot size bet on a dry board over there, you're kind of a little too polarized. Like you're kind of like, right. like if you get called, you're, you're, you're either way, but either way behind or way ahead. Is that, yeah. is that, a, is I, that, a, I agree with all that analysis, is Absolutely. that, is that I, I'm asking you because remember, I haven't, yeah. I haven't played like, I haven't talked like this about poker in like 15 years. So like, I'm just, I, I, tell me if I'm wrong. I'd rather you just tell me like, no, no, that was stupid. And you're wrong. No, no, okay. absolutely not. And, and when we really filter it down to its core, it's, Look, I have a I have a hand that benefits from betting, right? Right. It benefits it benefits in a theoretical sense because I usually have the best hand and it's vulnerable to overcards, so I want to bet. But then also, we have two players who probably think I'm overly aggressive, so I really want to bet my good Right, hands. you want to get called by Jack 9. Like you want to get called by Jack 9 there. You want to get called by by, you know, second pair. You want to get called by Ace 5. You want to get you want to get that call, but you don't want to get two calls. You almost want to get one call. Yeah, and sometimes you don't get to choose that, right? But right. I think your point about sizing is correct that I want to be able I, – I essentially want to bet on the smaller side because I want to keep their ranges wide, right? Right. These guys want to call me with any pair, so let's, let's let them – Let them. Let them call you with any pair. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's what okay. we want. Okay. And even if I was playing around with a bluff, right, if I had something like Jack-10 suited with a backdoor on 9-5 – Deuce? Is it nine five deuce? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's, it's a nine five, five three. Okay. Nine five three. You know, if I do that, 
you know, I want, I still want them to call me with any pair because I'm going to be able to, on a lot of runouts, show significant aggression on the turn and or right. River. And then, and then um, the over the overcards become scares to them, and you end up winning the pot in position anyway. Exactly. So, uh, so I do bet forty five, and our friend in the small blind check calls it, and the straddle folds. Okay. The small blind check called. Okay. Yep. Small blind check calls. So okay. he definitely has something, right? He has something. He's either something he has something or he's setting up a big check raise bluff. Sure. But right. we've, but we've talked about, but we talked about preflop that his range is going to be a lot smaller, than, uh, a lot stronger than the straddles. And then also when he check calls here, it's going to be stronger because he still has the straddle who could potentially check raise. He's not closing the action, et cetera. So He's essentially saying he's got a little something. It doesn't have to be huge, but he's got something that he likes here. Right. Certainly. Okay. So, so okay. So it was nine five three rainbow on the flop. Uh, we bet forty five. We get called. We have red tens, and the turn comes the six of diamonds, putting a second diamond on board. So nine five three, and then six. Okay. And the small blind checks again. I mean, if 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 he thinks you're you're light, has he seen you double? Has he seen you? Has he? Have you shown down a double or triple barrel bluff? I mean, in in this specific session, no. Okay, um, but I, does I, he does I, does he does he view you as the type to triple barrel? I believe so. Yeah. Okay, so that means that means his calling range is going to get much wider. He's much more likely when when you when you when you bet the turn. I mean, like he puts he puts you on air much more frequently than you really have air. So you benefit you actually benefit more by betting here. Then I mean that's how I I would view is like if you check if you the only reason you would check here is to induce a bluff on the river, but there's no draws that he'd be calling realistically calling with that would end up bluffing the river anyway. So my my inclination right here is is what is bet like 80? Yeah, go go about half pot. So yeah, uh, when he, yeah, so when he check calls 953 rainbow, mm. what's your opinion of his range? What's your opinion of what he's doing this way? Small pairs and two big overcards? You think he's you, you think he's calling with two two overcards when the 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 straddles left act too big. I mean, I, I, I don't know how he. I mean, honestly, because because. Well, I'm I just saying. I, maybe I'm maybe I'm giving you way less credit than what I mean. I don't know. I don't know what because dude, ace king against you with air could still be the best. Ten, I mean, like that. That's what I mean. Like I don't know the context of what your image is, but yeah. I mean, most like most. I mean, he when he calls. There, I mean, he has to have something that he thinks has. Here's a better way of putting it. He has something that he thinks he has showdown value. I like, but I, but I ace. Like I'm putting ace king in his range. range. Only I'm putting ace king, ace queen in his range because maybe he gives you much less credit because you could easily, you could have ace little. You could have. I mean, dude, they may put you on God. Who knows what the fuck they put? You could have, uh, you know, queen jack right here. Right. Queen Queen Ten, I mean, could have like God knows what. I don't know how much credit they're giving you. I, I'm actually not sure as well. Um, you know, I, I think that they think that I'm a 
pretty tough, aggressive player that I probably am more aggressive than the population. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think they think I'm a crazy blaster mm-hmm. by any stretch. Um, there's but, a, but the thing is, there's enough hands that could call that you beat that can call you right here. Yep. That worst case scenario, if you are beat by a medium strong hand, you're probably getting checked to on the river anyway, and you get to showdown. If you check here and a lot of cards you don't like, you're privy to get a pot size bluff on, on the river that could easily be a thin value bet with jacks. Like, so like I would, that's the type of thing I would do. Like I'm yeah. thinking in terms of how I would play against you. If you check there and I had jacks in my hand and the river was a blank, I would, I would make a, I would not do half. I would do a pot size bet because I think I could even get value out of ace nine. Cause you think that I don't have a hand enough times, but that now we're getting into, I'm profiling what he would do, but I'm just saying you're much, it's, it's too much. It's too easy to, to me, a check here is too easily exploitable that you almost have to bet on this card. But the sizing is up to you. You have to bet. Yeah. And, and I love that we disagree here. I love that we disagree. Oh, you check back. back. Oh, okay. I decided to check. And, and, and I love your thought process behind it because I think, uh, I think this is important in the way that I think about it is whose range is this card better for? And I think it's clearly his, right? Uh, a preflop calling range is going to benefit from this medium to low board much so, much more so than why? Why preflop origin range? Why? What do you mean? Because his I'm range, be- but no, 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 no. His range is better than your range. No, you know because he, well, it's shaped. It's shaped differently. It's shaped differently because he's not going to have big over pairs like aces, kings, etc. Whereas I will, because he's going to need to three bet those hands at a at a pretty high frequency. But he's going to not contain some of the other hands that I have uh, that that he he wouldn't necessarily call with. Yeah, but he has like a strong. But he has a stronger hand than that. What do you mean? We've already deduced that if if he had. Against your wide range of a pre a preflop raise, he is a hand that is stronger than yours and more likely to be better multiway. So like he does that 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 card on the turn helps you more than it helps him. I see. I don't think so because my. I mean, you think I have this really wide raising range from middle position? It's not I mean, what it's, he. That's yeah. not what you'd have. It's what you what he thinks you have. He's more. I could tell you. I could tell you. He's more scared of that card than you are. See, I, I'm not. I'm not so sure about that. Because then you're. Then you're. Real, a, then you're really not. A, then you're not a lag. Then you're not that laggy. Well, well I mean, maybe I'm not. Right. Okay. I'm, well, I'm, that's why the context matters. Like, I'm. I'm going under the assumption that you're. That you're. You're much laggier than maybe the context of the hand. Like that's. That's how I'm. I'm thinking of what would he think. He would think to me a check from you in his mind is actually stronger being that he could possibly think that you would triple barrel no problem with any hand that a check actually means that you actually have something of showdown you have something of showdown a check would mean you have something of showdown value and as long as a blank comes out on the river like you're you're not going you're you're not going to get bluffed at your a bluff is less likely to work now yet if you bet it's going to be hard for him to bluff first to act 
on on any even on an overcard because it hits you on a bl- if you were bluffing the the flop and the turn the overcard actually helps you out more than it would help him out which means even if it did help him he would still be forced to check and you just show your tens and win or lose the hand so like that's why like in his mind the check is actually a stronger action than a bet so i'm not so sure of that um only because i'm i'm not double barreling a lot of air here because this card does he, is but not it, does he know that does he know that that I don't know. Yeah, but do you, I you I don't know. Sammy, you understand like like I could listen to your hands and go. I'm constantly thinking, what does that guy think you have? What did yeah. and you're and like, and how could you play your line as a hand that he like on a, on a if you have let's say you had so Sammy, let me let me if you had Ace King here, I'm using that as a standard double you know Broadway over cards type of hand. If you if you had uh, a Ace King like hand. How would you have played this hand? Nine five three. You would have checked back flop at a at a really high frequency. You would have checked back the flop on a really high frequency. Yep. Do do, do they know that? Probably not. Right. They would probably they would probably think that C bets coming Ace King two players no matter what. Okay. So yep. now they're th- they're more likely to think that you have Ace King than tens here, right? So if they're going to put you on. You're more. I'm not saying they do or they don't, but more likely to put you on Ace King. Mm. How would they think? What would the line be if to them, if you had Ace King after one after the strong the player in the small blind calls? If he thinks that you're much more likely to shut down and check back the turn, then you with tens you want to simulate the Ace King line, and with Ace King you want to simulate the tens line. Right, because that's what he's thinking. I don't. I don't think about that. I want them to be the same. If I were going to play them the same, you know what I mean. Right. To me, I go back and I. I try to go. What What do they think the line is that? Because I want them to to misplay the river on this trick. Because I'm in position, so I want them to misplay the river. The problem is, is that when you check, if you check with Ace King on, and they think you have Ace King on the on the, if they misread your hand for Ace King. Uh, a hand like uh, any, they're going to be more scared of overcards, and if a blank comes, they're more likely to bluff because it's going to be hard for you to call with Ace King, and they're first to act, and they don't they don't have the option of w- seeing if you check or not. So that's the main reason why with tens, I'm much more likely if they think that you're not you're laggy. To just double barrel because that's what you, that they think you. And I'm saying that you would do because it's not about what you would do; it's about what they I think would, you would do. They think I would do, and right. maybe I'm not smart enough to know what they think. That well, I don't I'm know. Do, but these are the right? types. Oh. I'm just I'm just talking through. I'm not saying what you did was wrong or right or anything. But this is the the way that I'm just showing the way that I think about yeah. how I make decisions. You're thinking in, in a broad sense, Sammy. You're correct. In a broad sense, if you take away what I'm talking about, I think checking back right there because you have to give him credit for at least a nine, and there's not many other hands that you could beat. So you're more likely to just want to go to showdown, check check river, and just show your heart cards. I I I think that's correct broadly. Well, maybe yes and maybe no. So kind of what I was thinking through the course of the hand is I don't know that I necessarily have a three street hand. Like I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know that this guy is going to like call down three big bets. 
Right, because he's a pretty good player. He's not just the type who's like, oh, I got nine, eight, you know, right. nine with no kicker. I'm just going to, like, call off big stacks. So I almost wanted to deleverage the hand. and You want to, you want to control the size of the pot to make it smaller. So, so whatever river bet, even if you had to call, it's just going to be smaller, and any value bet that you make is going to be smaller also. Right, because maybe maybe I misspoke earlier, but the six doesn't necessarily benefit range versus range, but it benefits his range versus my hand. Right. Specific. Right. If that makes sense. Like yes. what he's calling on the flop often improved with this card. Right, because he could he like, could have top pair with the open and straight draw now or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so so yeah, because or a gutter nine, or something. Three, right. This six like completes a lot of hands, you know, six, five suited and yeah, but you know, the, seven suited. See, and, see the dead, see the difference between me and you is I take those hands out of his range when he's, when he cold calls your in the small blind, like, like I'm, he's like, I'm not saying I take it out, but I'm just like the probability of those hands, I think goes, goes down. Interesting. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, I, I think this guy would probably play him, but no, he know, would three. He would three would, bet you would, with the. No, the thing is, is that that type of player would most likely three bet you with those hands. So he, I. That's why. You, that's that's what I. More likely, like we're saying, more likely, less likely. Now, of course, we're playing against a stronger player, so his actions could have some deception to them also. So, like, we're not just completely just putting him on something. Well, and and that's the other part is you know like he could certainly be using a hand with pair plus equity as a check raise bluff. And I really don't want to get check raised here. Right. Right. You do not want to face a check raise because it kind of puts me in an, an untenable spot where if he's got bluffs in his range, I could be folding the best hand a lot, but he has hands like two pair, right? He has hands like six, five suited. He's got the sets, right? Nines, fives, threes. I assume he'd be peeling the flop bet with sixes. Um, he's got all the sets in his range. He can do all that. So if he's like, using some check raises, he actually puts me in a pretty tough spot. So my idea was I'm going to check back here and then we're getting a bet in on the river. Either he checks to me and I bet river and he calls because he thinks I'm BS or he bets out on river and I can call. Right. Well, it depends on what, if an overcard hits, it depends if a four straight hits. It depends. I mean, we still have some, we still, there's still the dynamic, the board is very dynamic. Yeah. So the, the way it goes, nine five three on the flop, I bet he check calls. The turn is a six, putting a second diamond on board. So nine five three six two diamonds. He checks, I check. And the river comes the four of diamonds. So and I have I've I've read ten. So I do have the ten of diamonds in my hand. But there's it's a four is there there's three. a four straight out there. Two three there's isn't there a four straight? No? Yes. Uh yes. Four six. So a seven, any seven in his hand makes a straight. Okay. And it's three diamonds now. And there's three diamonds. Okay, then now what happens? Do you have the ten of diamonds in your hand? I do have the ten okay. of diamonds. Okay, so what happens? What is he? Uh, he leads. He leads one sixty into one ninety five. One sixty into one ninety five makes it makes a nice solid bet. Nice chunky soupy bet. I, I would fold. And you, you, right. want, you want to hear the reasoning? Yes. Okay. I, w- I would I would fold. Uh, it, it, to me, it's either fold or raise. I don't I don't think calling is an option here. Uh, mm-hmm. you, the only you could call only with 
pure bluff. I mean, obviously, you just right now you have a bluff catcher. There's not there's yes. there's not there's no way a, like a nine isn't betting here for value. A set uh, that pocket see, eight, pocket eights, right? Like not none of those, none no one pair hand or even a two pair hand is betting for value here. Now against the against sophisticated opponents, I would bet I would bet top set here. Like against mm-hmm. you, I would bet top set, knowing that the likelihood of you having a seven is so not in your range. But you also know that my range doesn't have a seven as often either. So you you you're if you have a better hand. You're more likely to call as a bluff catcher, and my hand is not the straight, but is actually the hand that will still get called by two pair, by over pairs. Like that, this is sec, this is third level if I was in his situation, but I still have to consider that as a possibility. Going inside his head, going, if this dude has aces, and I don't have a seven, but I've been slow playing something better than aces. I could get value here because the likelihood of you having a seven versus me having a seven is much lower. So once you once you add that into his strategic arsenal, you go, did he did he just peel with ace queen on the flop? Probably not. It's maybe it's slight. It's whatever like that. But I think if if he had ace nine, something like a nine in his hand. He's much more likely on that card, based on your image, to check and let you bluff and then call with the bluff catcher than to value than to simulate a value bet on the river. So to me, tends to me at least, based on how this hand was described in the context of what you think of him and what he thinks of you, it's hard for him to have a hand worse than tens. So to my 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 attitude is Either your your raise here, like to me the raise, it's the guy. I I can't see him putting you on a seven. So even if he had a set, I think he calls. He probably calls your raise based on your image, on on the check. So that's why, like, I I lean more likely to fold. But I can understand, depending on your frequency, that a raise is, is a bluff raise is is definitely possible here but it's it's hard it's it's hard for me it's hard for me to think that he has nothing on that board that he has air that your tens would be good with a call yeah i i I agree with you that i don't think he's betting one pair for value a the bet is too big the board is too scary and furthermore because i bet flop and check back turn what he thinks of me is probably that i often have missed overs right? right i just took one i just took one shot on the flop Got a call, board ran out bad for two over cards, and I just I just decided to check and give up. So he wouldn't want or need to bet one pair. Right. If he thinks I have two missed overs, he doesn't want to bet one pair. And he also, if he I thinks you have two missed overs, he could bet a third of the pot and get a fold anyway. Exactly. So I don't think he has that. I think that his it's very difficult for him to have a hand that's actually a bluff here. Right, because he's not betting nine x or pocket eights for huge value. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call with worse. But there's a lot of value he can have. Right, he can have all the flop sets. 
You can have pocket sevens that turn into a straight six, seven suited, five, six suited, nine, seven suited. You know, he's got more sevens than me. And I also don't think that a bluff raise, even though I have the 10 of diamonds, mm. right? That's a, that's a good bluffing card because he shouldn't have higher diamonds than that very often in his hand, the way this hand's gone down. It's a, it's a kind of good blocker. That being said, I think his range here is just too strong to try to bluff. So I do the thing that, uh, you probably don't expect me to do, and I do fold. No, I, 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 it, it, I, you're, yeah. you're, you're too, you're, you're too good to not fold there. Yeah. So, um, I, I, you know, it's tough to fold over pairs, man. Uh, but I do think you're right that calling, it really good analysis. Calling is the stone worst play. Your pair of tens is never good here. He's not value betting a worse hand, and he's what? What hands does he have that that became bluffs here? Like it, it, no hands arrive here that are bluffs unless you like ace qu- ace queen of diamonds like ace queen of diamonds would be like but then yeah. but you'd have to but you'd have to profile him as a peeler and he doesn't seem like the type of player that would be a peeler totally and not you know, not, I mean, not with another guy not with the other guy in the hand also like that's right and think of the mental gymnastics it takes to get there like oh he didn't three bet pre-flop right and then he just flatted the flop with another player behind him and then turned it into a big ass bluff on the river like Maybe it happens sometimes, but not enough. Right, right, not enough. So, uh, so that's that's the hand. It's the first one that, that jumped out on my notes, right. and uh, I found a discerning fold, even though I'm right. not very good at folding sometimes. Didn't, didn't I mean? Didn't I mean? We mostly agreed on everything, right? Yeah, yeah, and 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 even the turn mechanics. Mm-hmm. Like, should I? If we agree, it's a, it's a close. Like we're we're arguing over like like a sixty forty at best. Like I understand yeah. your. Like you should probably check. I think you should check forty percent of the time and bet sixty percent. And you're talking, you're talking about the opposite type of thing. Sure, sure. And 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 we agree that it's a two street hand. So does it play better bet turn and check back river, right. or does it play better, you know, check turn and 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 right. you know and bet river if, if right. check two? And you know those those are the little minutia things. But uh, but yeah, yeah, we got there. We both arrived at a fold on the river. Right. So now now yeah. here now, now I'll do my hand. Now maybe it's going to be fun to you. All right, to go. I'm, 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 I'm interested. I'm interested. We may actually, we may actually, both of us would have played the hand the same way. But let's 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 see. Okay, so uh, playing one two, no limit, Caesar Southern Indiana. Uh, it's a 300 max buy-in game. Uh, I'm si- I'm sitting with 800, uh, and uh, it's a I'm I'm in the uh, okay. So under the gun. Yeah, I'm, you're you're so much better at the story aspect of like, okay, I need to get all the information. Okay, so un, under the gun, who is a, I would say, uh, nit, uh, like OMC, whatever you want to, you know, like you use that term, OMC, uh, with two hundred in front of him, or two hundred, a little over two hundred in front of him, uh, makes it makes it fifteen to go. Okay, under the gun. Okay. Uh, it gets folded around to me. I'm in the hijack. And I have two black sevens. Okay? Context. Uh, the the guy in the big blind, loose passive, one of the play, players that I'm targeting, guy in the button is a loose, semi-aggressive, but below average player. Right? Someone that overplays one pair too much, calls too much for any draw tight like uh, and he has about 700 750 in front of him so i'm looking to play against those those players 
I'm not looking to play against OMC under the gun. But, dude, this ain't going to be fucking heads up. So I'll take my sevens, and I want these people in, right? Because especially with OMC first act, essentially he's playing his hand face up, right? He has aces, kings, queens, or ace, king. And let me tell you, half the time he has ace, king, he's limping for $2. Like, that's how weak and that's how narrow this guy is, okay? So I don't care. So I, like... It's going to cost me $15 to try to bust someone, and I'm never going to lose any more money than I should against the, the Brazer. So I don't give a shit. Don't, why am I three-betting? That would make absolutely no sense. So I call. And, yeah, and, and I would agree with you here. Um, okay. I, this, isn't, this isn't a hand or situation I'd want to use as a three-bet. I think you know I do talk about three-betting at a really high frequency from any position that's not the button uh, or, or big blind. But in this situation, like all the things are stacked against you. Is under the gun ever folding his super tight, strong range? No, right? Are we playing with depth so that we can really put pressure across him on future streets when he holds an overpair? No, right? We're only we're only 100 big blinds deep at this point. Absolutely not. Do we have players behind us that are deeper, that are going to stack off lighter? Yes. And then do small to medium pairs like sevens really play that well in three bet pots? No. In fact, you know, uh, pairs are one of the hands, like smaller pairs are one of the hands that, you know, I use a lot as flats because they just don't perform well in three bet pots. They don't really flop equity. They're very binary, right? Either you flop a set or you don't. You know, they're not something that, oh, I flopped two overs and a backdoor flush draw. You know, I can keep barreling here with a lot of outs. It just doesn't happen. And also so, you flop over cards like 80 per- plus percent of the time anyway. And if, yeah, even exactly. if you don't flop right. over cards, that means there's a three straight on the board most of the time. Right. So like, yeah. right. Yeah. So, okay. so, so this is, this is absolutely a call. Yeah. Okay. So you're with me. Okay. So I call the guy sitting next to me uh, with $150 in front of him. Very weak tight. Like very, like not even OMC, just really weak. Like, doesn't play many hands, but plays really weakly. Okay, he calls the his he, right. He's my he's the favorite guy to play against. Uh, he calls the fifteen are loose, are very loose. Guy that's playing eighty five percent of hands, calling pre flop with any two cards practically. Uh, not a horrible, horrible player. Still, you know, has some sense to him, but still, like, just it's it to him. He's here to gamble, right? That type of player. So he calls the 15, the blinds fold. So we're going four-way to the flop, 60 bucks in the pot. Uh, the guy next to me has 150. The pre-flop raiser is 200. I have 800, and the button has like 750. I cover him, but barely. Okay, the board comes 10, 8, deuce with two hearts. Pre-flop raiser OMC checks. What do you do? Uh, I usually check. Right. I would usually check here also, but given the context of the opponents in the hand, because explain why you, why you, uh, you go through your explanation of why you check. Yeah, because it's not a board that I feel like I get a lot of folds out of, right? Because this is a board 10, eight deuce, the 10 and the eight are going to interact with a lot of calling ranges, right? All 10x is going to call. All 8x is going to call from these loose players. 
all two overs with a with a backdoor, two overs with a straight draw. We're just going to get called a lot here and not have a lot of definition on future streets. And it's a dynamic board, right? Over cards will fall. Things will things will fall where our hand doesn't necessarily like them, right? The 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 more the board changes, the more it's going to benefit the players in position. Plus, we're in a multi-way pot, so. I tend to play a little more honestly. I would way rather bet a hand. It's 10-8 deuce with two hearts. Um, I would definitely rather bet a hand like queen-jack with, with backdoors or queen-jack suited, etc. Something that has outs that can improve more than pocket sevens. If I were to bet pocket sevens, I think it would probably be a one and done. You know what I mean? Because when I get called, I just have very little clarity about, does this guy have a pair? Does he have a bullshit draw? Like... The ranges don't really get defined that well, and it's not a hand that you really want to double barrel, triple barrel, etc. So that's that's kind of my thinking. Good thing you're playing. Uh, you're, uh, the guy in the seat is very good at defining ranges. So, so it's a sixty dollar pot. I bet forty. Okay, so I'm betting. I'm betting not small, not over bet, but on a larger size because I'm not going to bet here that frequently. In a in a in a four way pot with third pair essentially, so yeah. here's my here's my thinking. The OMC obviously has ace king because like there's like there's like, uh, like I, you might as well just turn your hand up. Uh, obviously, okay. So he has a, he has ace king. The guy sitting next to me, okay. So my goal right now is to I improve the equity of my hand against the button if I could get both the pre flop raiser. And the guy next to me to fold. Because the guy on the button, his range is fuck everything. Right? Uh, and he's more likely to misplay later street. I mean, like, dude, like, I want to go to the... I want to get as many situations with this guy as possible. Okay? So, the preflop raiser prop has ace-king. If it goes checks around, I'm privy to, to his range falling. And me, if I had the best hand here... I can't even I can't even bet the turn on any on any overcard whatsoever. The guy but next. Do you have a heart in your hand? No, I have two black sevens. Okay. Right. Uh, if I bet the what is likely in the minds of all three of my opponents is that I have a ten, and that's what I want. I want you to think that I have a ten. The guy in the button, he may not care that I have a ten. And he may call with an eight. He may call with a deuce. He may call with pocket fives. He may call with two over cards. He seems like the type. Right. He could call with a lot of the stuff like that. But the guy next to me probably has two big cards in his hand, right? Because he called a raise. And the, the type of player like that probably has some hand like the... he. Shouldn't be playing multi-way, but he thinks he can, like a King Jack type of hand, an Ace-10 type of hand. But these are all over cards that hurt me my point is to just get all of that equity out so i could just go my hand is most likely good against the button more times than not so if i bet 40 here i'm more more than likely the guy next to me if he calls i'm done right because my hand is probably no good against his call he and, and then the guy behind him calls also now i'm first to act on the turn what unless a seven comes, I mean, I don't even know what I could bet here. So my purpose of my bet is to basically get the guy next to me to fold, right? right. A fold, fold and, a and hand that that hurts me on the turn, 
and possibly also folds an eight because he'll think that I have a 10 because why? That's what you do on the flop. You bet top pair, right? Oh, pre-flop razor checks. I bet. This guy goes, oh, he must have a 10 and he folds seven, eight or he folds ace, eight. That would be beautiful. If he could fold an eight, it would be beautiful. But if he has over cards, he has queen jack and the, and the pre-flop razor is, is king. Look how many cards hurt me. The guy's range on the button is fuck all. He could call me with God knows what. Let me get value out of him, right? So that's why I'm betting the 40. And lo and behold, guy next to me folds, right? Button calls the 40. Preflop razor folds, okay? Folds. Okay, yeah. so there we got that. No, so no, no, no. 140 in the pot. Effective stack size is what? Seven, seven, about a little, about 700. Uh, next uh, card comes out is an offsuit four. Okay, so we have we have uh, 10, 8, deuce, 2 hearts, offsuit 4. Doesn't make a backdoor or anything like that. Okay, now what do you do? 140 in the pot. Let me ask this question. Is this guy, do you feel like he's likely to bluff Rivers? Like, say, say he had a flush draw, just for example, right? 10, 8, deuce, 4. Say he's got some sort of flush draw. You bet the turn he calls. How likely do you think if a blank comes on the river and you check that he turns his hand into a bluff? Is he that type? Yes. Or is he just like okay? He he's a, um, he's more like he's more likely to do that. And also, he's much more likely that if he had a hand like Ace Ten on the flop, he most likely would have raised my my bet. So yeah. it's so to me the best hand that he could have, within reason, he could obviously have. A set like he's he's sl- we have all the really top end he's slow playing type of thing type ants. Yes, yes, but I would say slow plays are a little less likely on this board. Just like the population when they see a flush draw and a somewhat. No, nah, I don't care like about the population. I care about this guy. Go. These these people are fucking illogical. If now you have the type of people that are scared of flush draws and want to raise people out, this seems like the type of guy that when he's scared, it's with one pair type hands, not super strong hands. So to me, when he calls me on the flop, the best medium strong hand he could have is a weak 10. Like he's scared. He he thinks I have a 10, but he's not sure if his 10, seven is good, but he can't fold the 10, so he continues. He could easily, he could call me with an 8, but he could also call me with any hearts. He could call me with any, he, dude, he, he could call over, me with a, like two overs, a gut shot draw. Seven, even though you block it. Yeah. Right. So, as, as played, I think I probably play this through a bet check line. So, I think there's a lot of, because here's the thing, like, we're 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 in this pot now. If we bet here, I think we very rarely see a raise. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. of the type of hands that you're talking about, right? right. He's going to have some weak one pair hands, and then he's going to have draws. And most of the time, those draws, if they're going to play through a semi bluff, they're going to semi bluff the flop, not now do it on the turn. Not always, but I'd say the vast majority of the time. So what I want to do is actually bet for value at this point, as we've arrived here against his draw heavy range. And then I want to check, I think pretty much all rivers. And because when they create a draw, when they create a missed draw, uh, he's, he's likely to bluff at it. And when they don't, um, 
you know, he, he's made his draw or whatever that looks like. And, and there's no value left. We've wrung all the value at. So that's, that's kind of the line I'm going to take here. There's about 140 in the pot, and I think we can uh, size up pretty well. That's what I want to do because what I want to do, I don't expect his draws to fold, but I do want to get some of his weak 8x hands like that. We don't want to get them to a cheap showdown. So I would probably bet about two-thirds pot somewhere around 100. Okay, I bet 80. Right. And the only reason I didn't bet 100 is because from a nominal standpoint, once you get into the triple digits, like that, like that seems like a much bigger bet. So I want to bet big enough, but not something that he thinks is a big a big bet for this game. Yeah. Right? So I so I bet 80. So it's like we're we're on the same we're on the same wavelength, right? Exact same wavelength. And the and he, thing and he calls. Right, and he calls. Okay. And we're also on the same wavelength that we're planning on checking the river. Right? Yeah. I'm on 100%, but we're going to get it's going to it's going to get a little tricky now. Okay? Okay. I love, I love tricky. Get a little tricky. But you're on we're both on the same wavelength, okay? okay. Uh River comes, it's a black king. Okay? Black king, we check, and he bets 200. 25? He bets 200. Yep. yep. Um, I mean, I think I think it's a pretty clear call. And, and the reason I think it's a pretty clear call is because unless he has specifically a king high flush draw that made top pair, this king, this king doesn't help his hand. Maybe king 10, but... We're, we're getting pretty thin here. I think there's a lot more hands that he can have that his week one pairs, his 10X, his 8X, they're just checking back, right? So we don't have to worry about him betting 10X for big value here, right? What we think his range is heavily comprised of is week one pairs when he call calls, and he's not left with a lot of those, and certainly they don't bet big on the river. So he's left with a lot of missed draws, a lot of his queen jacks, a lot of his jack nines, uh, a lot of flush draws, ace three of hearts, and you know king, you know queen queen jack of hearts, and queen seven of hearts, like this sort of shit that this guy has. Um, you know he's just he's just got all that in range. And if he's the type that has a proclivity to bluff here, I just don't think this king changes his range. It's not an advantage card to his range. So I'm 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 check calling. Okay. Well, I I, I called. Uh, yeah. And and the re- and, and the reason. You queen fucking six of hearts and you take the pot. Easy game. Uh, the reasoning is is you have that you have that what I call the spreadsheety version of it is that <laughs> that for if he if he had king ten if he had king ten if he had a ten I pro- most likely get raised on the flop with this type of player. If he had an eight, I could see him calling the flop and the turn, but I see no reason why if. Why we we would bet two hundred on third pair, on the river like that does eight like x doesn't make any yeah. sense. One, one two players are not turning eight x into a bluff on the river. Right, right, exactly, and or two or two x or some some bottom pair hand or something like that. The only the only hand that he the only thing that he could have that beats me right now is if the king improved. So like if he had king eight, king deuce. Right, like he called with bottom pair, and he and he turned the king. But I also have to take away half half of those hands because the preflop raiser, I could probably bet my house has ace king, right? Because he folded, so one king is gone in my mind. So oh, you're it, getting a little spreadsheety here. I like this right, pleasure. but it's a, but I'm putting the I'm putting it right. So like, but that's how you have to think, right? So 
So I, so I go like, and also from a nominal standpoint, even though it's a two third size pot bet, 200 is a big bet in this guy's mind. If this guy, if right, if this guy had King eight, he, he thinks I have a 10, right? Especially when I check the river, when a King comes, cause he'll go like, Oh, well now he doesn't have top pair anymore. I'm going to check my whatever Jack 10 hand. And if he had King eight, he'd probably bet like a hundred here, right? He'd probably go like, how do I get a call from a 10, right? 200 to him is a bigger bet. It's not it, size wise. It's not polarizing, but to him it is to me. Yeah, it is there's not a lot of hundred big blind bets in this game. Right. Right. So I, so I, I, I don't really think that much about it. My whole, the whole purpose of checking was when a heart doesn't come, I call, right? So yeah. I called and he turns over queen nine of hearts. So he had a gut shot, Ooh. gut shot and a flush draw that missed. Not your ass, Mr. Right. Postman. Really, really well played blender. And, and I really like, uh, I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's definitely next level to understand that when the original OMC raises under the gun and then check folds the flop. It's ace king, the vast majority mm-hmm. to understand that that card removal on the river, not that we especially needed it, but it's one more point in our favor. I mean, buddy. Yeah, but the bet, it's, it's, see, the thing yeah. is, is that the bet on the flop is how I think about playing hands where I may not have the best hand against one player in this multi-way pot, but how do I get into as many heads up situations against someone that I'm either ahead and will get caught? Like, look at look at all the money I got. I got called with two decent half pot size bet value bet thin value. I mean, look how thin those value bets were. And then I got paid off by inducing a bluff on the river by all the missed hands. And I go, well, I mean, how do I make and, any and more money? Because if you if you check behind, like think in terms of checking behind. If, oh, also after 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 the hand when I turned it over, uh, the guy next to me said, "Nice bet." I folded an eight. So when you when you bet here, all if I check there, what ends up happening is the guy next to me probably doesn't even bet an eight. That's how weak he is. The guy on the on the on the button may bet his draw. It gets folded by Ace King, and now I'm in a situation where. He could have way more better hands than I have. And now we're going to be out of position, not able to control the pot against someone that could be, could have a draw. He could have whatever. And am I going to check raise here? If I check raise, I'm, I'm check. It's a right. Exactly. Your face is like, whatever. So like, I'm in, I'm in definitely in a bad situation. And also if it gets checked through and the four comes, the preflop razor still checks. I probably bet now because no one bet. The guy with an eight probably calls because he thinks, well, if he had a 10, he would have bet anyway, right? So he calls. The other guy, now, now how, do, how, do I, how do I win the hand? I can't. And then how do I make a lot of money off of the, the bad player at the table? I can't. Like, I think the bet here, when I get called by the guy next to me, I lose 40 bucks and I'm done. And so be it. But he's so, the guy is so goddamn weak that he's folding way too much to anything here that to me, it's, 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 it's so unreasonable not to bet when you could play the first guy's hand face up and the guy next to you folds 90% of the time. And you're up against the guy that you're probably good against 
currently 60 plus percent of the time. But most people like you go multi-way pot, third pair, let me check. And it's like, these are my, see, Sammy, these are my reckless adventures. I, there's, hey, there's, there's a lot and, of times and, and I run into it. There's a lot of times I run into a set or something. Ha- I mean, there's a lot of times I call on the river and the guy shows me a set and I go, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that happens to me too. I, I will say in, in this, in this hand, uh, I do think the the kind of key, um, I agree that, that betting the flop really led you to this situation. And I'm not actually against betting something other than top pair, uh, for value here, I would just choose a different hand candidate. I'd choose something like 9-8 or 8-7 mm. uh, more often than I would pocket sevens. Because I have more equity uh, with those hands, right, obviously. Yeah, exactly. But that doesn't mean that the that the thought process behind the reason why you bet is is poor. It's not at all. Right. I'd be – like I said, I'd be a little more discerning theory-wise about which hand I used. But once you arrive to where you did on the turn, um, I think we were in complete lockstep in terms of like, okay – where are we now and how do we best take advantage of those situations? And like we talked about, the the EV of making good choices on turns and rivers is going to trump the EV of making good choices on flops pretty much all the time, right? Right. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I really like the way you thought through it. And, uh, you know, I mean, fuck, man. Like, just how just how sick is it for this guy to, to flip over a stone-ass bluff and you to call him with fourth pair? And he's just like, how did this guy do that? When really it's it really just takes – a, a certain kind of logic in terms of paring down. Would he do this with these types of hands? Would he do that with these types of hands? Like you said, you didn't even think about it that long on the river. Um, and and I, well, I don't think you well, should. Well, especially you I think, yeah, but I, you're thinking pretty deeply about about what your opponents are likely to hold. Right, and also the likelihood of my line. My line in that hand is like if you were to just look on a broad view from an average player's perspective. I called a pre-flop raise, bet on a ten high, bet when checked to on a ten high board twice, checked on a king. Like he thinks ace king, ace ten. He thinks like ace yeah, ten x, right? Ten x and probably a good ten x because it's like oh he's a good player. He's not probably not has ten deuce or something, ten four or whatever. And he goes well once the king comes and I check, here's an opportunity to bet with queen high because I missed. Right. But the key is, is that he needs to think that I have a 10. So if I bet the river, like the, the likelihood of him bluff raising is way down in these types of games, oh. then most likely he, he folds. So like the key is to simulate the line in his head that makes that induces the bluff and make sure it's all consistent to that. Because right. I was simulating a 10, which got the eight to fold. And then didn't get the queen nine to raise because probably he thinks that, well, if he has a 10, he probably doesn't fold to a raise anyway. So this is how bad play, this is how bad players think. By the way, this guy cucked it big time by not just. I know, but that's how bad players think. They go, this guy ain't folding a 10. What's the point of me raising my draw? If he had a bigger draw, if he had the like open-ended straight flush draw, he probably would have raised anyway or ace king of hearts. Draw do you want, buddy? These are bad players, Sammy. They're bad players. <laughs> They're bad. Uh, players. Tremendous stuff, Blender. This is this is really good. I love this. Uh, do you want to do another hand? Uh, I can't. I I, I I do want to. I do want to. Um, but but my kid's up from a nap, and uh, I don't I don't want to be hashtag bad parent. Uh, bad hatchet, bad, oh, you're a bad parent. You're gambling your, your child's uh, college fund. I'm I'm creating her college <laughs> fund. Ah. Um, 
but she she actually turns three years old today. It's her birthday. Oh. So, uh, yeah, daddy's daddy's got to go and uh, do some special stuff for her. Okay, so Sammy, if if you like, hey, anyone that's listening, if you like these types of hand analysis, just your 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 podcast is like evergreen. Like you could listen. I mean, there's no like, dude, you could listen to this ten years from now. I mean, like, like I binge listen yeah, to well, all yeah, your well, episodes. Ten years from now, all my all the theory that I think is right is going to be proven bullshit. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see about that. But but yeah, I, I I agree. It's something you can you can go listen to, and it'll hold value. You know, a month from now, a year from now, et cetera. Yeah. That's, and, that's what I do anyway. And finally, what advice would you give to people that are coming from DFS? Like, think of the opposite. Like, the situation that you were in four years ago. Like, you came from poker, went to DFS, then came to poker. And I did the same thing. Well, what happens if you never came from poker to begin with and you just... You played DFS well and you understand the theory of DF, DFS stuff. What's, yeah. what, what advice would you give people that maybe... Go, hey, if I'm good at DFS, I could be good at poker. Like, what? where would they go from here? I mean, I, I would say get just get out in the streets. I mean, the thing that we found is is what we talked about at the beginning. You go and, God, the, the players are just are just so bad, right? They're, they're just so bad. And, you know, in a way, um, I, I, think, I think the live poker circuit is much softer than the DFS streets. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just 100%. In general, right? And so if you're, if you're somebody who either just enjoys the thrill of competition um, and gambling for money, or you're somebody who's like, you know, has their hand in a number of different things that you're trying to make a career out of, right? I don't think anybody, not anybody, but most people don't just play DFS for a living or just play poker for a living. They have different hustles, different side ventures, et cetera. If you're looking to expand that portfolio, I mean, live poker is, is kind of where it's at. And, you know, I would, I would start, I think, um, I, I like Ed Miller's books, man. Like yeah. I, I love Ed Miller. Uh, God, he's somebody who you should maybe try to get on the podcast. He's been on the podcast. Has he? Shit. Yeah. Well, I need to go back and listen to that one. <laughs> I missed that. I think I think he's fantastic, and I think one of the the one of the great skills of people who are really good at things is to be able to take something really complex and explain it simply. And I'm trying to get good at that. You know who's a master is Ed Miller, um, and he's got he's got books for like all shapes and sizes all kind of points that you're that people can be at in their poker careers. And so for me, that's, that's where I'd start um, is just, is just pick up the course or. Well, I think you know, small, when, I think small it. snakes, no limit hold'em is a better. The, the first one? Yeah. The first one. I mean, it's not, yeah. not as modern. If you, if, dude, I wouldn't, I th- would, you have to agree. I think it's much better to start and hear, Error on the side of being too weak and too tight. If you if you if you read the course, you're gonna be th- you're gonna be just triple barring like like way too like I I, re- I read that and I said like not not in my games, bro. Hashtag not in my games. Like I'm not yeah. gonna triple barrel that. I mean I, the theory makes sense, but like it's all in context until you're playing in the games where that's profitable long term. I, that's why small stakes no limit hold'em. I think is it, it leads to you to play a little a little bit much more conservative ish and tighter ish, so that when yeah, you sit down, probably small stakes, and then it's the course, and then it's poker is one percent. It's like the really advanced. Right. Well, I also like well the, to me is the applications of no limit hold'em by Matthew Janda. Oh, buddy, buddy, you're if you're just starting out in poker and you're yeah, you don't that, want to read that book. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're in for a thick milkshake, right? 
Okay, so Sammy Reed FI on Twitter. Subscribe to, to his podcast. It's great. And the Gilcast, obviously. Yeah, that's must must listen must listen content to know uh how much of a fish everyone is. So when 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 you play the same players in cash and you go, Oh, well, these guys did also. I, does that make me good or bad or whatever? Uh definitely check that out. So uh thanks for coming on and uh I, I, I don't I, I don't mind talking about poker with you anytime. Dude, it was it was real awesome, Blender. We got it. We could have got another couple of hours in. Um, you know, pretty selfish of my daughter to have a birthday, I would say. But you know, she's little, so so we'll let her get away with it. But I really appreciate you having me on, man. It was great. Okay, and as always, you can get the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports fifteen hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com.